Great Expectations is part of the Earth 2 network of podcasts. Everyone, this is Jerry. And this is Sean. We're back! I know. Feels We're, weird. This is really weird. As I told Sean earlier, this is like, for me, this is like, I've been away at summer vacation, which I have, and it's the first day of school, and I'm going to see my friends that I haven't seen all summer, and I'm scared about what my teachers are going to be like. And what my new classes are going to be like. And I don't remember anything from the, <laughs> from the spring. Yeah. And I'm completely starting over. That's, that's this show. This is the first day of school. And I'm going to be the bully that comes by and knocks your comics out of your hands. That's about right. That is I can't. Right. You got me this awesome Adam Kubert print. Jerry thinks about me when he's away. It's true. Sean and I have been very busy while we've been been. away. Busy little beavers. Sean, why don't you tell people what you've been up to that's been keeping you away from me for so long? Uh, My girlfriend started a new job in Detroit, and she is working in the same building with her sister. And her sister, my girlfriend does not drive. She rides a bike, which is super hot. That's all she does. She doesn't drive a car. It's pretty awesome. Or at least it was hot. Yeah. And her sister was like, ah, don't worry about it. We will work in the same building. I can drive you there and I can drive you home. And I was like, oh, this is pretty awesome. And, uh, turns out that my girlfriend, uh, her shift ends a half an hour later than her sister's and her sister refuses to sit around and wait for her. So now I have to go from a completely opposite part of the state after I get out of work all the way over to the other end, and uh, it's pretty time-consuming. And that puts me at getting home around the time that Jerry is doing his fatherly duties of making sure that his kids still recognize him before he puts them to bed. Yeah. And so it's uh, it's cut into our podcasting time slightly, but it's okay, because I have explained to Ashley where my priorities lie. She's <laughs> clearly number two behind the GX pod, and she can just... Wait at a shitty bus stop until I'm ready to get her once I'm done talking to Jerry. Yeah. In Detroit. Yeah. Bus stop nothing, in Detroit. Nothing bad can happen to her there. Hot girl by herself. Yeah. No, no chance. She'll be fine. No Some guy wants to come by and pick her up. Drop her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. That's where she is now, right? No. They're going to the mall or something. Some candle sale. I don't fucking know. All right. Well, while you were doing all that lameness, yep, I had three consecutive weekends of conventions. Breakfast in bed with Brian Stegman. <laughs> <laughs> no. The first weekend, uh, I was Ryan Brown's guest at his home while we attended the... Whoa. <laughs> that's right. 
he and his lovely wife Carrie, uh, put me up in Chicago so that I could hang out with him at Wizard World Chicago. Whoa. And it was an incredibly depressing show. Um, as a comic fan who likes to hang out in Artist Alley, I'll say it was the biggest Artist Alley I've ever seen. Gigantic. Having said that, I hardly knew anybody there, and I didn't really discover anybody new that I was super excited about. Um, the Their application process was open to pretty much anybody. There weren't really a lot of people that were making comics. It was a lot of um, Tumblr artists and... Uh, My favorite... It was, it was rough, man. It was really rough. But I got an awesome sketch from Lanil Yu of Wolverine that I will love forever. And, uh, some quality time with my main man, Ryan Brown. Nice. And, uh, hung out with a couple other cool friends of his that have kind of become friends of mine. And they probably don't listen to this show, so I won't even shout them out. Yeah. Cause whatever. But, um, I, <laughs> I I did get to hang out with Steve Seeley and Jenny Frizen, um, who are two people that I've grown to love. Uh, Jenny Frizen is a cover artist on Revival, and she does covers for Red Sonia for Dynamite. Okay. And she is both the most hilarious person I've ever met and the cutest girl in the world. That stings. It's It's ridiculous. She's like the perfect person. I mean, she's engaged to Steve Seeley, who's incredibly bearded and handsome and ridiculously talented artist. So they are going to be the new power couple in comics. Okay. Once they make it official. All right. So yeah, great weekend in Chicago, followed by a trip with the family up to Toronto the following weekend. We took a four-day weekend, took some time off from work. We went to Toronto. The Baron is convinced that all you do is take vacations. Everyone is convinced that all I do is take You post on Facebook all these like, oh, I'm up at the lake. And he's like, what is that guy? What, what does he do for a living? Well, I mean, most of them, there, I take a lot, okay, I do get like five weeks of vacation, okay. which is a lot. But I used almost all of that vacation time this winter because of this fucking Michigan winter and this stupid polar vortex and its bastard son, polar vortex too kept school closed for the entire winter so That's I was true. home with the kids all the time oh so, my god so I was left with like a normal amount of about two weeks of vacation Okay. and what I did was I broke that shit up and I took all these th- three day weekends to Come go to, to conventions and um <clears throat> and I did take one full week with the family where we went to the lake and that was awesome but uh yeah a lot of three day weekends I hit like nine or ten uh, conventions this year. Which, it turns out, was too much. I got to Toronto, and I'm pretty sure I texted you that it was the biggest mistake I'd ever made going to that convention. I believe you did. It's, it's the third largest convention. I love the fact that you send me texts like that while you're at conventions, and then when you get back, you're like, you should have gone. It was awesome. I didn't tell you you should have gone to that one. No, that's true. No. Um, I went on Thursday... And Thursday at Fan Expo is Shangri-La for a sketch seeker because it's pretty sparsely attended as that convention goes. So you have easy access to everybody. And my friend Craig Young, who's an, uh, an inker for Marvel, don't mean to name drop, but 
I, I want to thank him we gotta for come hooking up, me up. We got to come up with a soundbite for every time your name drops. Right, but uh, I, I I am admittedly well connected now. I've you know I've got these hookups at these shows where uh, people I've made friends with are ridiculously lucky to have done so. Um, that I just met really awesome people that for some reason like me enough to help me out. He got me into the show on Thursday before the doors opened. And, um, I had like all this opportunity to, um, get sketches and I was really excited about it, but everybody I didn't have a sketch yet from canceled. So it was all people I'd gotten sketches from already. And I made a deal with Melissa, one sketch per artist, and that's it because it's already ridiculous the the amount of time and money I've spent on sketches. We all know that. Everybody knows that. I admit that. You got a jam piece addiction. <laughs> I do. I do. Uh, but the addiction is broken, Sean. It's done. Once these... I've got three left. Once they're done, that's it. If you don't end on a Baron Strucker jam piece piece, <laughs> Baron V. Strucker is gonna kill himself actually he wouldn't kill himself well I hope not because I really don't see it happening because when I've asked people in the past to do a Baron Von Strucker jampy sketch they say I don't know who that is because <laughs> he sucks that's awful oh yeah you're gonna get fucking stabbed on Wednesday when I we finish know. this episode they know um, so Craig got me in, nobody showed up, and my heart was broken. But, I did get a couple sketches that weekend. I got a really cool Punisher from, uh, Dave Ross. Okay. Who I guess drew the Punisher in the 90s. Cool. I didn't realize that. But it was cool, and I bought two pages of original art of Alpha Flight. From the time when I was first reading it, like uh, they were issue, I think it was issue 43. It's part of the Pestilence story, which bled into the um, X-Men Alpha Flight two-issue miniseries where, I don't know if you remember, Northstar had this really bad cough and it was kind of overcoming him, but that was from this storyline in Alpha Flight. And it was so cool to see those pages in this book and they were super duper cheap couldn't believe I got them. Yeah. Really psyched about that. Inked by Wills Portacio. Nice. Which was awesome. And um, that was making me feel a little bit better about the weekend. That happened on Sunday. But on Thursday, I did get hooked up with a Werewolf by Night sketch from Tony Moore, who was a guy that previously had told me he he wasn't going to sketch on the champions. And I did think it was going to happen. And, uh, we finally made it happen. Um, because, um, I've gotten to know them a little bit by going to the Cincinnati Comic Con that he and his wife Kara Fairfield run, which happened the following weekend. But not to get too far ahead, I bailed on the con and spent some time at the zoo with Finn and Chloe and Melissa and, uh, on Saturday. No, that was on Friday, and that was really great. And then Saturday we went to the Toronto Science Museum or whatever Sweet. it was, and the kids loved that shit. 
They loved it. So I was super dad for Friday and Saturday. Went back to the convention for Sunday. Um, you're back to normal, dad. Yeah. Well, they went to the park. They had a great time without me at the right. park. And then we just had to drive back. So nice. it ended up being a good weekend. But I, I figured out on Thursday when Stegman finally showed up that the part of the reason I was having such a miserable time was because he wasn't there. Because he's my boy. And um, I I realized every convention I've done this year, except for that Wizard World show where Brown and I had a miserable time, um, Stegman had been at every single show. That was the only one he hadn't done was, was the Wizard World one. And when he showed up at Toronto, I felt safe again in my heart. I'll probably cut that out too. <laughs> nah. That's just between me and you. Nah. So yeah, it ended up being a pretty cool weekend. <clears throat> and then Cincinnati Comic Con was two weekends ago. Um, went there with my buddy Austin to sell his paper action figures, which, which are sweet, by the way. Completely sweet. If you follow him at Jericho on Twitter, you'll get to see some of them. He's also on Instagram, and that's where he mostly posts his stuff. But he did these little baby Groot dolls. I didn't know that he was on Instagram. I'm going to have to... Uh, and the name Jericho is actually derived from both of our first names, Austin and Jerry Company. Jericho. So, so we were there. We got to hang out with some really cool people, and... Uh, unfortunately, it's the same weekend as the Baltimore show. Yeah. I think it would do better if it wasn't because it's, uh, it's creator driven. It's comics only. It's a really intimate show. Um, attendance was light. So accessibility to all the talent was really good. And then at night at the hotel, there was, everybody was just hanging out every night and they gave us a private room with a private balcony. And people could just show up and hang out with Andrew Robinson and, uh, Robbie Rodriguez and, and, uh, and Ryan Stegman, you know, if you're into that. And, and it was cool. Jason Latour was there. Matt Fraction did not come down for that. That's but good. he was at the show with oh, Chip Zagarski and they, their line was always really long. Everybody wanted to talk to them because they were the popular kids. But, um. Lame. <laughs> And I, I met Chip Sadarsky for the first time, and he was really awesome. I was impressed. But that's it, man. Is it, is it weird that I unfortunately dislike Chip Sadarsky, even though I don't know him just by proxy of Matt Fraction? It's, is that wrong of me well, to make the judgment? I mean, a lot of people love Matt Fraction. We are not in that camp right now. And maybe we should, or maybe we should not make that public, but... Um, <laughs> But I mean, the the reasons are varied. They are ours. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. I love yeah. Casanova. Yeah, I mean, he's created works that both of us love. He's created works that both of us do not love, and he's created works that one of us love and one of us don't. Um, whatever. But I don't. I don't. I'm just there. He's created works. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to figure out what so, I loved that you didn't love. Well, I've never read Casanova. Oh, okay. But I'm sure there there are books that you didn't dig on as much. Right. Like maybe you didn't like Defenders. No, I love Defenders. Okay. And I really loved Hawkeye for the first ten mm-hmm. issues. Yeah, Hawkeye's where he started to lose me towards the end. Yeah, and it, I think that book was the only book that he was doing where I was like, 
you were losing me in the pages of this book. Yeah. For more, for me, it was more kind of the behind the scenes thing. And, you know, what was going on with him is. Right, right. Let's right. just not even get I into know. it, man. Yeah. World's Most Wanted was probably my, it's probably my favorite, um, Iron Man run. Yeah. That post siege, uh, dark rain. You know, Norman Osborn hunting down Iron Man. I love that. Yeah, that Mandarin annual that he did. Yeah, was really good. Yeah, I liked a lot of the Iron Man stuff. I wasn't. Um, I, it was a mixed bag on his X Men stuff for me. Like, I liked part of it, but then I didn't like other aspects of it. I w- I still wonder what a lot of that would have read like if Greg Greg Land hadn't drawn it. Yeah, I uh. I just never, I could never wrap my head around Utopia. Oh, yeah? It just seems like, growing up, you know, in, in like a time period when, because I feel like growing up in the 90s, like, I mean, homophobia is bad now, but I feel like it was really bad back then. Because mm-hmm. I felt, I don't know, maybe it was just like where I was growing up or the people that I was growing up around, but it just felt like there was so little, I don't know, I don't want to get into it because I don't want to get fucking slammed for saying something incorrect. Like, not that I would say something shitty, but just factually inaccurate. Just discussing what? Exactly. <laughs> Which we will be doing in an issue of... uh We'll get, be going into some uncomfortable territory in an issue that we're going to discuss today. Yeah. So, um, so I think, uh, part of the thing that I didn't like about Utopia was it seemed like, I mean, there was always that awful fucking quote unquote joke that shithead homophobes would make about putting them all on an island. Oh, yeah. And so when, like, the X-Men were like, oh, we'll just go over here and start our own, like, it just, it seemed so, Opposite the message of the X Men of coexist, you know. Yeah. Or it was like we're gonna, you know, and it was. I mean, it was fucking asteroid M for Christ's sake. Like, talk about. Yeah. Well, I mean that having the perspective of now, I, I don't want to cut you off. Too. No, no, no. I mean, but I mean that's it. It just always felt weird. To, I didn't like the. I, I like all my superheroes being in New York. Yeah. The West Coast thing felt weird. The, mm-hmm. I'm having the same diff, I, I just feel like sometimes when the, the message of the book starts to get lost, I start to lose interest. I, I w- didn't realize how, I, I've really been enjoying like Bendis's run on mm-hmm. Uncanny and All New, but man, Wednesday was like a one-two punch. I read Uncanny first and I followed it up with All New. And Uncanny, I love Bendis. And, and while we're talking about Bendis, um, you know, big, uh, shout out to him. The, the Bendis forums at Jinx World were taken down last night. And I wasn't a super active member of the boards, but I was for a time period. I was more of a lurker. But, um, it's a bummer when you see something like that go down. Anyways. Uh, part of my issue with Uncanny is that, like, Bendis loves his toys, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm, uh, Maria Hill should not be a major character <laughs> in Uncanny X-Men, uh-huh. and she's just like, 
I mean, seven pages of just Maria Hill speeches. Yeah. Bitching about mutants. <laughs> and it's just like, uh. And then I went over to, uh, to read all new X-Men. And, um, uh, spoilers, I guess. Uh, you know, there are five, some of the characters have been, like, well, I don't know how it happened, but somehow they've been sucked into alternate realities, and up to and including the Ultimate Universe with mm-hmm. um, Original Five, Jean Grey running into Miles Morales, and I understand, but part of me is like, I don't read the Ultimate books because I don't care, and I understand that probably pisses a lot of people off, because it's just as important to them as the 616s is to me. Yeah. But it's never felt like it's carried weight, so I was never that interested. I read them in the beginning when they first debuted, probably about to issue 30. I have the whole run of Ultimate X-Men, but I've never read the entire thing. I know that there have been a few listeners who've requested that we talk about some Ultimate books, mm-hmm. and if we don't, that is not anything to do with Jerry. It's more my own, like, I'd rather talk about what matters to me because I'm going to be interested in it than forcing myself to talk about something that I don't care about. Um, but maybe we'll get there one day. When we reach the point where those come up, we'll have a dedicated episode about Ultimate Books. Anyways. For the record, I really enjoyed the Ultimate Universe up to up to a point. Yeah. It was probably around the time Peter Parker died yeah. that I started losing interest. And... It was President Cap where I decided I was okay. just gonna ultimate just let it I mean, go. Oof. I mean, it was ugh. it just it wasn't doing anything interesting for me anymore. Yeah, but so I'm I am not reading it. Yeah, and I haven't been for a couple of years now. Well, and I haven't either. Like, I mean, I kind of weaved in and out of it. You know, like I came back um, when it rebooted with, like, David LaFuente. I, I kind of always stuck around for Ultimate Spider-Man, because that was fun. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, that was, that was always a great I, I dropped in and out of Ultimate X-Men, no, and I liked... I love Millar and Hitch's first couple volumes of the Ultimates. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I kind of lost it with the Jeff Loeb, Madriera. Yeah, um, me too. Volume 3. That was, for me, that was when the Ultimate Universe really started going off the rails. Yeah. But, wait, was that before or after Ultimatum? That it was, was after right before. Ul- oh, it was before Ultimatum? I think okay, because so. Ultimatum's what fucked the, the yeah. universe oh, completely. Yeah. Completely fucked it. Um, so part of the thing is, is, like, now in All New X-Men, with them, like, going over, crossing over the Ultimate Universe, I just don't, I don't, I feel like a new reader. And it's kind of frustrating. Yeah. Because there's a little bit of like, I don't really care about these characters, but uh-huh. I care about, I care about half the characters. Right. And it's just kind of weird, you know, especially in today's day and age where like, everything's clearly written for a trade. It's like, if you're not digging a story, you're out for six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm still, a tiny bit stuck in that completest thing where I can't give up on a title because there might be some type of dangling subplot that gets mentioned and I wouldn't want to just stop, you know. I don't know. It's tough, man. It's tough. Regarding the completest thing, I finally freed myself of that yoke. (laughs) But now that I'm on the other side of it where I've let go of I don't need to have every issue in the run to keep the complete run going, um, and it started with the Incredible Hulk. 
I, when I wasn't liking Jason Aaron's run yeah. on Incredible Hulk, and I, which I heard got better, but I stopped. And then, so that's where it kind of started for me. And I started letting titles go. And if I wasn't liking something, I'd stop buying it until I heard something good was happening, and then maybe I'd pick it up again. Um, it starts to get really easy to let stuff go. The I've... more you do it, the the less... Your interest wanes very quickly if you let go of the obsession. I I, I've, I've started. I've I feel like I'm dangling my toes in the the water because uh, I instead of like dropping books outright, like I looked at what I had, and I think for the first time in my life, I felt like that comic book room was starting to like close in on me. Yeah, as opposed to me going in there and like enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And I started, like, I've been, because of the podcast, I really, I've been loving doing the X-Men reread. Uh-huh. And it made me realize that, like, I got out of comics uh shortly, like, during the Morrison stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And I didn't come back until after Civil War. I was playing a show in a... a fan came up to me and somehow we started talking about I think he had like a Marvel Comics tattoo or something and we started talking about it so he started telling me about like New Avengers and Bendis so I went back and I mean I filled in all the holes and I mean fuck I must have spent so much money during a six month period holy shit dude yeah if I could go back in time and just be like dude settle down (laughs) (laughs) yeah um I went through the same thing not Long after you, when Chloe was born, I went six months without buying any books, and I spent the next six months filling that hole in. I never really, I always kind of would come back and like fill in my gaps for X-Men, cause it was like, it wasn't that I gave up entirely on the X-Men, it was just because we were touring, like I couldn't stop at a store every Wednesday, cause we might not be around one. Yeah. And so I eventually filled that all in much sooner, but when Civil War happened, I started getting fucking everything because marvel all of a sudden decided that everything would tie into everything yeah and they didn't stop until recently and i was looking at stuff man and there was stuff that i that i loved right mm-hmm. but i was looking at this box of like i was reading the other night i was reading <laughs> undercover and i walked away from it and i thought to myself I couldn't even tell you the names of some of the characters that I was just reading about because I care so fucking little. Right. And so I looked and I was like, I've got a complete run of Avengers Initiative. And it was a good book. Mm-hmm. But I'm never going to read it again. Like, I'm never going to yeah. find myself on a rainy fucking Sunday going, I want to read about Cloud Nine. Or fucking Butterball. Ever again. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so I dumped that. You know, I could see myself having a rainy day where I'd want to, but uh, the fact is that the time does not exist where I will. I have the freedom to just. <laughs> you know, it's just not important enough in in the big scheme of things to reread Avengers Initiative. Yeah. As much as I enjoyed it, it's just never going to happen again. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it was a real bummer. Sorry. 
Ashley just blew a fuse in the house and she's trying to get me to help her figure it out <laughs> via text message. Yeah. Okay, Avengers Initiative. Uh, yeah, man, so, I don't know, you just get to the point where, like, those, those books are just taking up space in my tiny little house. They gotta go. Yeah, I got rid of... I got rid of Avengers Initiative, Undercover, stopped reading Arita while it was, or stopped reading Undercover. I got rid of Arena, stopped reading Undercover midway through, mm-hmm. um, dropped Hulk, got rid of all the indestructible Hulk stuff that I, cause I'm just like, it was good. There's nothing wrong with it. They were good, but I'm just like, it's just sitting here so that I can have some yeah. complete, no, fuck that. Yeah. I sold all my Hawkeye stuff and just traded it in for the hardcovers. Mm-hmm. You know? I feel like... Um, the times they are changing, Jerry. It's weird. Yeah. I, like all my Uncanny Avengers, I love that book, but I've been trading them in every time that a new hardcover comes out so that I can get the hardcover. Here's the interesting thing about the comics industry for me. Um, I've always been a back-issue collector in a silver and bronze age. I've always enjoyed the hunt for those issues but i see you know as these movies are coming out i'm seeing that those titles and there's a movie for almost everything now so almost everything's hot so almost every back issue costs a fortune compared to what it did 10 years ago but accessibility to digital copies and reprints of all that material is better than it's ever been so if you're reading it for the story you don't need to buy the back issue anymore for almost anything. Um, so the collectability from that aspect of it is gone. So I'm wondering why prices continue to increase when demand seems to be decreasing. Yeah. And then you look at the new stuff, there's almost no point to buying. I wouldn't be buying paper issues anymore if it wasn't cheaper. When I, like I, I was buying all my issues from DCBS. And, uh, they were like all, they were all 50 or 40% off. And you get a code that gives you access to a digital copy if you're buying a Marvel book. Um, which of course is all we buy, right? Cause we're Marvel fans. Well, that's yeah. all I buy. Yeah. Me too. Totally. Not really. But, but it is all I buy. So it's messed up that, that I can get a paper copy and a digital copy cheaper than I can get a digital copy by itself. That's stupid to me. And if that were to ever change, I'd go, I'd go digital at this point for almost everything, unless there was something special I wanted. And then I'd probably go out and buy that hardcover when it was collected. But, um, I'm really over having all these paper issues in my house. As far as the reading experience, maybe I'd, I prefer reading them on paper. I know you do. Yeah. But, um, the colors look so good on a tablet these days that, um, as far as, how pretty they look. I kind of prefer reading it on a tablet. And the not having all that crap in my house, I'm at the point now where I'd rather it was just gone, man. Right. But so, so I reached that point recently where I just don't want all these new issues in my house anymore. But I don't know how to get rid of them. And you're, you're kind of like, well, this is just junk in my house that I'll just trade it in and get rid of it. 
but I'm like holding on to that. Well, these things should have value and I want to maximize the value when I get rid of them. And what's the best way to do it? And unless you're a dealer, it seems like there is no way to get rid of comics and get the value that they're quote unquote worth. You know what I mean? And it's frustrating. So I just held on to everything until I can figure out what that magic way of going on eBay or comic collector live or whatever. I don't know. Whatever it's, whatever the magic bullet is to get a dollar an issue or two dollars an issue out of them and sell them and not have to quit my job to have the time to package everything up. And, you know, I wish somebody would, would just come to me and say, here's $30,000. I want these 15,000 books that you have. Yeah. I wish that would happen. And pull up truck up and haul them out of my basement. If I if I had the money, Jerry, I'd do it. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know, man. So we're at a point now where both of us have really changed our buying habits in the last couple months, and our opinions on comics have really started to change. And we're in a weird point where our relationship with comic books is changing. I still love my X Men. Me too. But I, the, the, you know, another thing that's like weird is like sometimes from previews, I order like shirts and stuff like that, uh-huh. and it takes them a year for yeah, them to show up. That's so weird. And I the wish other, somebody would explain to me what's going on with that. Oh, the well, can we pause this for a second yes. before we get into that, so that I can make sure you talking about the value of comics is important to me because it's like we're. Using the same terminology for, like, you're talking about how, like, you don't feel right giving up on your comic book collection because you see an inherent value of how much you've spent on it. And I have this, like, I could give a fuck. It's, it's a terrible thing to be, I'm gonna be 33 in less than a month. What up, Jesus year? Yeah. Um, and I slowly realize that I am the worst at Believing that money has any type of value. Yes. Terrible at it, right? Anybody that knows you knows that that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Just based by the way you live your life. Yep. Does not value the dollar. I do not prepare for the future whatsoever. We're working on that. We are. You're going to have a plan soon. I am. That is going to be my birthday present to you. I'm, I'm getting closer and closer. But part of the issue with that is like, where you look at your comic collection and you're like, there's a value here because of the time and the effort and the condition that I made sure the books were in and blah, blah, blah. My value for mine is the experiences wrapped up inside of it. Yeah. Um, we had to pause for a second and I was handling some at-home business with that damn fuse. And, uh, <laughs> and Jerry and I started talking about uh, the new U2 record and how I was upset when it was immediately put into my phone. I'm a huge, U2's my favorite band. Um, and I, uh, Jerry was giving me shit for complaining when it came out that I, uh, didn't have the experience of like sitting on my floor listening to it, reading the liner notes. But the problem is, is that I'm more upset about the fact that it was like an experience when one of the records would came out. And I, and I feel the same way with, um, comics. I feel like we've moved into this. Everybody gets everything whenever the fuck they want. 
yeah. as fast as they possibly can. And so a little bit of my experience growing up with comics and especially music is now so drastically changed that like I'm a obviously a dinosaur. But uh people tend to get irritated. Like, if I'm like, oh, well, I missed this aspect of it, because they think that I'm, like, shitting on the new thing. And it's like, I'm not shitting on the new thing. I just feel that the new thing has created a valueless society. Yes. Yes. I've noticed this with television. Which, now that I've consciously tried to spend less time reading comics, which I've done, um, I've spent more time with my kids and maybe to, you know, being a bad parent here, we've spent some time watching television and, um, a lot of it has been stuff that's on the DVR or I'll see that a new show is coming on and I'll set the DVR. And, um, there's, it's to the point now where you get everything whenever you want it and there, it's not. Like, oh, the, the new Star Wars Rebel cartoon, which I just saw a commercial for this morning while I was watching Gravity Falls, which I'd never seen before, and um, just happened to catch it, and it happened to be the first episode, which came out two years ago. It's just a miracle that it happened that way, but I love that show now. And Chloe really dug it, so we're going to watch that one regularly. But Gravity Falls? Yeah, it's good, man. I saw a commercial for it yesterday. Confession time, Jerry. I might have teared up while watching Girl Meets World last night. What? <laughs> I'm the biggest pussy in the world. I don't even know what Girl Meets World is. It's the continuation of Boy Meets World. No shit. Yeah, it's all... I was going to ask, is it connected? Yeah, it's Ben Savage and Topanga. As like their the kid parents, or something? Their kid. Oh, shit. I love it, dude. It's really good. Like, what, really... What like, station is it on? It's on Disney. Wow. So it's not as, um... It's not as like, it feels a little more Disney-esque than the original, you know? Uh-huh. But Jerry, I, I'm not gonna lie, it fucking gets me every time. So, Boy Meets World, you were like the demographic yes. that that was aimed at. I didn't. When that was new. I didn't right? follow it through until the end. Ashley did, cause she's younger. Uh-huh. And so she watched it until the very end. But like, when they were in school, I was in school, but once yeah. it gets into like the, them being out of school or college years or whatever, I couldn't give a fuck. That's what happened to me with the Wonder Years. Yeah, like those first few seasons, I followed it really closely and yeah. I lost touch by the end. No, yesterday's episode. But that was my boy meets world. Yeah. See, I'm telling you, it's tough. They went into why Topanga was named Topanga yesterday uh-huh. and like the history of their grandparents and whatever, and it got to me. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. I held it in. <laughs> Ashley looked at me and she was like, for real? This is the thing that does <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> Something about it, man. It yeah. got me yesterday. Guys are weird that way. She's, I, th- I don't think she's ever, I think the only time that she's in, a, in our entire um, eight years of friendship and almost two years of relationship, I think the only time that she's seen me get really emotional was... I might have been, I might have been partaking in a substance and really getting into, uh, discussing Kitty and Peter's relationship. <laughs> Cause she, we had seen Days of Future Past and she asked me some question about 
why, um, why I got so excited in the very end when, uh, Kitty and Colossus were in that room together teaching the class. And, and you're so, like, why isn't she with Bobby? So then I went through the whole fucking thing, and when we got to the Astonishing X-Men return, oh man, I was like, you don't understand. And she was like, it's funny too, because I think comics clicked for her, like, because she was like, you really just, that was actually, that was one of the days where I realized that I care more about the X-Men than I do any other comic book, because I love the characters' relationships with each other. Right. Like, I love the fact that they're a family. Mm-hmm. And I think because my family got so fucked up after my mom died, that, like, I... Like, that's what draws me to the book still. And why I probably didn't like the Utopia stuff. And maybe why I don't like where the books are at right now because of this. Like, I just want to look at them all and be like, Xavier's dead. Fucking get it together. Yeah. Patch your shit up. Logan. It's like Xavier is your mom. I'm just fucking tired of everybody kicking Cyclops when he was down. Like, (laughs) I'm sorry, it totally sucks that he killed Xavier and that blows, but like, I'm sick and tired of him being the fucking bad guy. Well, we were, I think we were about to get into this when we were talking about Utopia before, but I think a really smart thing that Marvel has done for the last 15 years is, um, like, you can, you can look back and you can see the future of Marvel Comics years before it comes. Like, you, when they went to Utopia, that was the begin. well, it wasn't the beginning, I guess the beginning was when the Sentinels showed up on their doorstep. Yeah. At the end of God damn it! <laughs> but, but, um, like, you, you could see that that was the change in direction for Scott. Way back when they went to, to San Francisco. Well, shit, man. It could even be before then, because it's when he got, um, possessed by Apocalypse. God, I don't even remember that. The 12. Shit. Yeah, Because so- if you really think about Cyclops, this is the point that, like, irritates me with fucking, like, Logan running around, like... Like, I, <laughs> I love Logan to death, but his fucking high horse that he's on right now. Like, this moral high ground of the dude that went around fucking stabbing every dude that he met and sleeping with every chick that he met is fucking irritating. Well, he's, he's like the, no offense to born again Christians, but he's like the born again Christian of the group. <laughs> you know, like he figured out all the mistakes he'd made in his life. And, um, is trying to be a better person and is holding everybody to his standard that he himself can't really live up to all the time. It's tough. Maybe I should cut out that born again Christian. Oh no, you're fine. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I'm a Christian, you didn't hurt my feelings. <laughs> yeah, but you've always been a Christian. That's true. I have been. And you haven't needed to be born again, because you've always been so good. I don't know, man. I almost got kicked out of school. <gasps> Ooh... Not for any, like, because I said that people needed to cool it with the hatred. Yeah. It's the only part I don't agree with. Yeah. Love who you want to love. I don't give a fuck about any of that other stuff. You're like the Professor X of the Christian church. There's too many, there's too many, uh... Did you ever know that? That I got, like, huge fucking... Are we going to digress into some personal shit? 
I was originally going to go to I was originally going to go to college to become a pastor, and then I uh, I went to a, a Christian high school, and every Friday my religion teacher would let me teach a religious class, and our synod of the church was at the time teaching some really weird Bible study about how the office of the papacy could possibly contain the Antichrist. It was just meant to be like a, a weird thing, but I thought it was odd, and I just didn't agree with a bunch of the stuff, and. Uh, my best friend's uncle, when I was growing up, was gay. And so I always grew up around homosexuality and had no issue with it whatsoever, and so I had a huge problem with the way that our church reacted to that. I didn't like the fact that, like, our church wouldn't allow women to be pastors, because I always felt more comfortable talking to women uh-huh. than I did male authoritative figures. And so I said some things in a religion class when I was a senior, and so when I was going to apply my school was like maybe he should take some time off wow and so I was like fuck that I can reach people through music and I can be like because I always wanted to be the Christian person where like people were like oh you're not preachy because I think that's lame Mm -hmm. and then if I was like a happy dude and positive and people were like hey why are you happy then I could be like this is why and I think that you should be cool with other people. And and I hated the fact that none of the people that I went to school with would take the time to, like, learn about other faiths. Because I think that you should... To be able to, like, pronounce that, like, or announce that yours is the way to go, you should fucking know, <laughs> know about other, other religions. <laughs> like, you should be open to understanding them and where they come from and stuff like that. So, bigotry makes me mad, Jerry. Yeah. So that's that. So I did not go to school to be a pastor, obviously. Obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I took a different route. Melissa's cousin is a a woman and a pastor, a Lutheran Lutheran pastor in Seattle. And um, she started this place called Luther's Table that is a, it's like a tavern where people can go and discuss shit uh, while they drink beer. Sweet. And it was a really cool idea. And that's that's kind of a, what I imagine Pastor Sean being like. She's a guitar player, too. Yeah? Yeah. She's obnoxious like you. Yeah. I just, uh, you know, luckily I had a lot of, like, good um, representations of faith in my life. With, like, people who were down-to-earth and real people that I saw make mistakes and do good and not fucking judge other people. Yeah. You know? Um, but then I see the other side of it. And I'm like, holy... I mean, even when I was in high school, the hypocrisy that I saw in my school. Yeah. Girl got pregnant in school, they shipped her off somewhere else. You know? Like, Uh. if a kid had problems, it was like, we gotta kick him out. Like, fucked up, man. Like, you're supposed to be the exact opposite of that. Right. That's why Nightcrawler is my favorite. Because he's not a hypocrite? Yeah. Think about it. He's like a faithful Errol Flynn. Yeah. Fucking badass. He is badass. Thank God he's back. No, I remember, because the thing that connected with me was when I was in a, a catechism, or confirmation, which would have been, but it's like the Catholic equivalent of catechism i had this teacher who brought in um one of those like the metro times things and then he had us all flip into the back with like the 
ads. For, personal ads? <laughs> for companionship, if you know what I mean. But, uh, he was like, tell me what's wrong with all of these people. And so everybody started judging. Uh-huh. And then he was like, you're all assholes. There's nothing wrong with them. Oh, wow. There's absolutely nothing wrong with them. And you're pretty shitty and, and pretty bad at your face if you're going to fucking condemn them. <laughs> and I was like, God damn, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. That guy gets fired. He got, he, um, unfortunately, uh, passed away. Oh, that's a year interesting. Later. And at his funeral, his family, he was the person who, who pushed me into that direction. Uh huh. Cause he was, cause he was like the only person that I had met at that point that wasn't like a judge. I mean, he was older, you know. Oh, he, okay. was, he was the only person who, uh, wasn't a judgmental dick and was very open about being cool with everything. So there we are. This is a weird digression. That wasn't that very was good, man. That wasn't very X Men related, but you guys are getting to know us personally. Sean This is the cathartic Yeah. Well here's CX the situation, pod. right? We haven't seen each other in a month. I know. And when we did see each other before that, we really only had time to talk about the X Men. True. And um above everything else, we're best friends in the whole world. That is true. So um Sometimes you gotta talk about this shit, and if it has to be on mic, and we mm-hmm. have to put it on the internet for other people to hear and judge, so be it. Hopefully there are a few people out there that, the few dozens who followed us to our new location that, uh, that will hear this and enjoy it. So let's not worry about it. Yeah. I mean, I think people will value our opinions more knowing who we are anyway. Exactly. So there. But yeah, Utopia. <laughs> uh, I think, I, I, I guess I, I think you, could, at that point you could see that, um, Scott was starting to take a road that was different from what Professor X had laid out for him. And, um, he has kind of fulfilled the, how, how do I want to say it? It led to its obvious conclusion by him killing Professor X. <laughs> like, uh, the, you know, he had kind of warned them, shown Magneto as the example of, of what that road could lead to. Like, it's, it's like the dark side of the force or whatever. And Scott had fallen and now he's kind of trying to rebuild his reputation while living in this world where he's still feared and hated and he still knows the dangers of trying to pretend like that's not true. I don't know. It's a complicated issue. It's a lot more complicated than Professor X made it out to be, I think. It's just, man, it's just tough watching some of that. Like, I understand that all of the X-Men are grieving right now in their own way after mm-hmm. Xavier's death, but it's fucking difficult to see everybody so angry at Cyclops because it's like, I don't think... Like, it just sucks to be like... You don't think that that guy is fucking... Like, that guy was the dude that destroyed himself on the inside for fucking every little tiny mistake. So you don't think that he's ripping himself apart? And I fear... I know that everybody's like, Oh, you X-Men fans are such goddamn conspiracy theorists with your... They're gonna cancel the X-Men books and blah, blah, blah. But it just, man, with this Axis event coming up, I just... I don't feel like Cyclops is this long for this world old cyclops anyway yeah 
so weird. Well, I don't know. I really like new Cyclops. Or young Cyclops. I shouldn't say new Cyclops. Yeah. I mean, new I, to this time stream. Like, I like all of it. I mean, I don't... Because I understand that it's storytelling and it's gonna go places that I don't always agree. I mean, there was stuff when I was a kid that I didn't agree with, you know, that I was like, oh, I'm kind of bummed and, you know. I mean, I'm excited for the ride. Mm-hmm. But it's... It's definitely, um... Well, here's the new thing that that a lot of writers are doing. Because of the age of the internet and the the ease of which you can submit a complaint to yeah. a writer, they're starting to play with that, I think. I've, we just saw it with Wade um, in Daredevil when he pulled the, the trick in the, um, the tie-in to... Um, Original Sin. Original Sin, where it made it look like his, uh, spoiler, made it look like Daredevil's dad was a wife beater. That pissed me off. And it pissed me off too. And I'm sure it pissed a lot of people off. And I'm sure that was done intentionally to fuck with people. Yeah. Um, and I think, I know that Bendis does that a lot. Like when he killed Hawkeye. He did that just to fuck with people. And didn't realize that he was like legitimately hurting people by doing it. And I think he he learned a lesson from that. Um, and I think he's admitted that. Um, but uh, he's to this day, I think he still likes to fuck around with people, you know, getting worked up about shit that they one shouldn't get too worked up about because you're in the middle of a story. You know, and so something that happens on page doesn't necessarily happen the way you think it's going to happen or have the consequences you think it has to happen. But also, I think he just likes making people sweat. And they all do. I, you know, I... Remender is yeah, really good oh, at that yeah. right now. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I wish that more writers would be like Peter David. Because I feel like Peter David just builds. Yeah. Like, I don't think that... I feel like every thing that I've read from him, he tries to find the best in every character. Even if it's... Like, even if he's got to tear some characters down, um, I don't think it's done in ever in, like, a malicious way. Mm-hmm. You know? Sometimes I see other writers, like, shit on characters that they don't like. Yeah. You know, and you can clearly tell. Like, I mean, again, I love Bendis, but you can tell that he's got his favorites. Yes. And mm-hmm. I feel like Peter David's like one of those guys that I could never, I can never tell which are his favorites versus which one he doesn't care for because he's always kind of given the D team. Right. I mean, that X Factor book that's going on right now is actually really, really good. And there was mm-hmm. just an issue that came out on Wednesday that was like a standalone, like the girls go out. To a renaissance fair. <laughs> and it was really good. And I was like, I kind of sometimes just miss this. Like downtime where there, it felt, you know what it felt like? It felt like the, um, Ramita Jr. issue where Wolverine takes Colossus to the bar. Yeah. And like he winds up, you know, like it had that vibe of like, there's a lot of conversations going on here, but it's going to be something that's memorable because it does spoilers again since the book just came. But it deals with 
Wanda coming to see Lorna because she feels like she should connect with her sister. Uh-huh. And so it's them kind of going out. But there's a lot of, like, comedic bits with danger because danger goes with them. <laughs> and she's just discovered, like, what sex is. And so she's basically asking everyone that she meets. Awesome. Did she hook up with Warlock? She tried to, but he got freaked out. <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> Those two are going to end up together. They're going to have a baby. That's going to happen. Warlock and Danger are going to have a baby. Well, shit, I'm man. calling it. Yeah. What's oh, it well, I mean... Dangelock? Yeah. I don't know. But there's an, there's another fan favorite characters of yours that's just been revealed to have a, have a baby. Who's that? What? Yep. Get the fuck we out We should, here. at the beginning, you should mention that there's spoilers for comics that are, you know... That will decrease the number of plays yeah. again. Shit. Sorry. Yeah. Should I bleep it? Sure. They already have a child? It's eight or months she's... had been advanced, so she must have been pregnant. And the baby is brand new. Okay. The head of AIM. He bought it. He bought AIM in a hostile takeover. Fuck yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you can do that if it's not publicly held. But that's still hilarious. Yeah, so he owns AIM now. Man. Hickman turned AIM into a major player. Yeah. He, I don't know that I love what's going on in a, in a world, but... um. The only thing I like about that thing is a mess. Yes, absolutely. But I love the fucking like Madripoor was built on the head of a sleeping dragon. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, that was really cool. Logistically, a nightmare. Oh yeah, absolutely. But uh, (laughs) really cool. Madripoor is just a magical place. I want my phone to stop flashing at me. This does feel slightly cathartic. I apologize if we're talking very little X-Men, but... I like that we're talking new new X-Men stuff. Yeah. We never get to talk about new X-Men stuff. We have to jump around occasionally. Yeah. Well, he, um, I'm going to choose this point to say it. I'm not buying new books anymore. There, I've said it. Ooh, it's tough. The only book, the tough. only book I'm gonna, the only monthly book I'm buying now is Ryan Brown's God Hates Astronauts. Yeah. And, uh, I'm just letting it go, man. And, and when I feel the need, I'll go pick up the collections. And I don't know, maybe three months from now I decide to go back and start buying again. But I cannot keep up anymore. And I tried paring my list down to the essentials, but I couldn't figure out what that was, and I just decided the easiest way is to just stop for now. Yeah. That's tough, man. And I'll be honest. I feel like Marvel is um not interested in me anymore. They're trying to to court the, the young, pretty audience, and so... You're still pretty to me. Uh, thanks, man. Thanks. But I feel like they were riding this crest for several years where everything they were doing was really awesome. And then one day I just, I got, I had this huge stack of books and I was like, none of this is really doing it for me anymore. I really was enjoying Thor and I was, I like, I really digging new of 
Uncanny Uncanny X-Men and All New X-Men. Like those books were the books that I was really digging. And um Undercover I liked and there are a few others that I like but I realized I could live without them. And I could the money could go to better places and my time could go to better places. And um I just decided to call a halt to it. The whole thing. You know, and I've got bookcases full of collections that I haven't touched yet. And I want to reread all these X titles for the podcast and that'll fill my time. And there I wasn't doing anything else, man. Like I'd sit down to talk with to people about what I'd been doing and I didn't have anything to tell them because nobody gives a shit that I just read um Deadly Hands of Kung Fu number 3. Right. Nobody cares. Except for you and and my Twitter buddies that I never get to see in person anyway. Unfortunately. Yeah. Like, I never get to hang out with you guys. Except at the annual C2E2. You right. know, uh, two hours at a bar after the show or whatever. Um, I gotta get back to the real world and have real relationships. Ugh. <laughs> So I kind of like the fact that we didn't just talk X-Men in this one and we were able to talk about some real stuff that was going on. Yeah. Because I feel like because of the podcast, you and I, when we get together, it's all podcast talk. So this is going to be... I got tired of say, saying save it for the yep. show. So we're going to have... There's going to be some personality stuff about us getting mixed in with our X-Men talk, just so everybody knows from now on. If that's yeah. all right. So this is a mess. I mean, it's not a mess. Um, I don't know what the show notes are going to look like for this episode. Um, we won't call it no edits, but this will be no agenda. Yeah, <laughs> I'm all right with it. Do we want to finish it off and move into what we've been, what we read for this show? Wrap it up. You have more on your chest. You want to get off your chest? I don't know. It's just there's these the issues that we were going to talk about. I mean, I guess there is stuff that we need to hit on. Well, there are two... The first two issues I thought we covered in the last episode a month and a half ago. So I did not reread those, and I've kind of forgotten... We were... I mean, the brood thing was going on with Deathlock, so on and so forth. I mean, the problem is is that... Deathbird. Deathbird, yeah, not Deathlock. Um... (laughs) The problem is, is I think like at the point of, of Jerry deciding that he was getting out of new comics and me kind of realizing, um, I am, I am not getting out of new comics, but I am narrowing your focus. Yes. And, and realizing that the things that I should be getting now, like, I want to say that when I first started going to, like, websites like Twitter or message boards or anything like that. If someone recommended a book, I wanted to go out and and get it because I wanted to be able to talk about it. And then I slowly started to come to the realization over the past couple years that I don't think anybody really gives a fuck (laughs) what I have to say about any type of book. They just want to be able to kind of, like, get out what they want to say about it, and it's out there. And then, uh, move on. That's become a lot of our, like, social media interaction, at least that I've seen recently. Yeah. Not, not from a lot of the people that I interact with, but just as, as a broad sense, it's a lot of, like, I'm going to tell you what I think. Yeah. 
and it's right. Mm-hmm. And if you disagree with me, you just don't get it. Yeah. You know? And so my thing is a little bit more like I realize what that I have like a personal connection to the X-Men, so I focus a little bit more there. And I'm dropping a little bit of the other stuff that I know, like... I'm no longer concerned about having a complete collection of, like, a you know? Mm-hmm. If I want to drop a world, I'm going to drop a world, you know? Mm-hmm. And so as we were kind of discussing, like, how we were feeling about the state of comics and stuff, I kind of just shut down a little bit, which didn't help us with recording, and I just kind of started plowing ahead and reading for myself without much thought of, like, how this is going to translate into the podcast or anything, because there was stuff that I wanted to get to, and I have a complete run of New Mutants that we've talked about before that I've never read, Mm -hmm. and I've been saving it for the podcast, and a couple weeks ago I finally had read ahead far enough to where I was actually going to get to it, and I loved it. I loved it so much. (laughs) So much. So I think that we should just uh, start focusing on maybe not pulling apart every issue piece by piece, but kind of just hitting the points that we really loved. So unfortunately, I wasn't that blown away by a lot of this stuff in the last uh, Cockrum run here. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it's good stuff, and it's fun, but also with the way that we were doing that, where we just started to kind of fall into the pattern of talking about the reread, I kind of just felt like I was repeating myself. Yeah. And I'd like to discuss, like, you're really great at talking about art and how the books are put together and little facts about the time period and stuff like that, and I really like the we hitting on, you know, emotional stuff that happens in the books, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Some really great stuff that did happen in these, though. Those big brood ships are pretty. The big brood whales. Yeah. Yeah, this. The first issue in, in this chunk that we read for this episode, there's a double page spread of, of one of those whale ships. And I wish. I don't even remember what they're called. Surprise, we're no experts. Those whale ships were called the Akanti. It's so awesome. Cockrum's uh, spacey sci-fi stuff is so fun. The way he draws the brood, so fun. Yeah. Chaad. Love that guy, his big crusty lips. It's cool, man. It's it's a delight to look at in some parts. But I, I guess there isn't really a ton of consequence that happens in these issues. It kind of sets the stage for the brood invasion. It's a nice setup for putting Professor X in peril so that you can learn a little bit more about his backstory. It's one of the things that I didn't realize that I missed by not reading New Mutants when I started, when I got up to that point and was able to start reading a little bit of it, I didn't realize how much Xavier was in that book and how much his relationship with Alandra. Like, it could totally, this New Mutants thing could totally change my perception of a lot of those characters. And yeah. I can't wait until we have a particular guest on 
so that I can ask him the correct pronunciation of one of the New Mutants characters. Oh, yeah. Karma's, Karma's real name. Yeah. Yeah. If that's okay for me to ask that question. Yes. Okay. <laughs> if and when that, yeah. that interview happens. But I, I still think it's pronounced Sean, but I don't know. Okay. I always thought it was like Cyan or something. Uh. So do we talk about these issues or do we, what do we do, Jerry? Yeah, let's just, I mean, let's try to get through these first two. I really barely under, remember what happened. All right. Previously on X-Men. When we left off in the last episode, Colossus was lying, dying. Yep. Um. After uh, Deathbird had taken off with Kitty and um, Nightcrawler in a spaceship, was Professor X with him too? I believe so, yes. And uh, Tigra was working with the X-Men, who were left behind with the Star Jammers, trying to figure out what their next move should be. So they, they threw Colossus in some like um, life-preserving yeah, pod. they're doing that right now, because they get... Um, the cops show up because they were in that building fighting the brood. That and, collapsed uh, when the yeah. ship inside of it took off. And the Tig- cops were pissed! And Tigra flashes her card. She's like, bitch, I ain't going to jail and neither of these guys. It's like a modern day celebrity. Yeah. Um, you sure you don't want to talk about the NFL at all, Jerry? Oh god. So, <laughs> Jesus Christ, Kitty has some terrible outfits. I, t- I like how I talk about my religious background, but I've said, God damn, Jesus Christ, about 14 times. <laughs> Alright, so Kitty and uh, Nightcrawler are hostages of the Shi'ar task force sent to uh, rescue Empress Lalandra. And of course, what's the first thing Kitty finds? Again, one of those damn costume changing <laughs> things. So we can see... Horrible renditions of possible uh, kitty costumes. The one thing I will say is that this seems to be something that Dave Cockrum enjoys doing. Yeah. He also... Like, he... Because he... There, later on, we'll see they go up to Lalandra's ship and everybody's in a new costume. I just think he really dug the character designing aspect of comics. Yeah. So while Kitty and, and Nightcrawler are in their cell, a little hologram pops up, and it's basically this guy telling them what happened, and it shows Colossus getting speared. Uh, Kitty's pretty upset about it because it doesn't show the end of it, so obviously we have a moment of Kitty kind of... I don't want to say that that completely changes her from childhood, but it's definitely something that messes her up and... Yeah, she's, you see some resolve in her that, uh, she's gonna take vengeance on them. And, uh, it, it shows that, um, I mean, we've seen her be smart, we've seen her be crafty, we've seen her be brave, but this is like, I'm gonna fuck some shit up, Kitty. Yeah. And maybe we haven't really seen that yet. So then we have, um, Cyclops and Corsair are talking, and Corsair kind of opens up about what happened to his wife and why he didn't come back to Earth to look for Scott and Alex. And it's kind of nice because at least in this moment, Cyclops seems to get it, and I think it draws an interesting, at least in my mind, an interesting parallel between, like, 
Perhaps if Scott hadn't have lost Jean, he wouldn't be able to forgive Corsair. But I think having lost Jean, I think he understands a little bit more of like, I might have been, you know, like, I'm disappointed that you didn't come back for me and Alex, but I understand the grieving process that you must have been going through. Mm-hmm. So. Have we the- talked about what exactly happened to his mom on the show before? It's, I mean, it's pos- if we haven't, then listeners might not even know. True. That, that they were abducted. The reason their plane crashed was that they were being pursued by a Shi'ar ship, right? Yes. That shot it down, and they were teleported onto the ship. Yeah. Kate After they pushed... Um, Alex and Scott, they had one parachute. They had Scott hold on to Alex, and she pushed him out of the airplane, and they got teleported at the last instance. But Scott and Alex obviously thought they died in the crash. Right. And, uh... Poor, uh... Corsair is put into, what is he, put into some slave pits or something? Mm-hmm. And Deken, uh, you but know. Takes his wife as a concubine, basically. Yes. And then kills her in front of Corsair. Yeah. So he's, uh, he's going through quite a bit. And we all know that part of that gets rewritten years later by Ed Brubaker. Thank you very much. So how, how does the Brubaker thing work? She ends up having, what's his name? Yes. While they're in prison. Yes. Okay. And then I think he was like grown or some shit. Like the process was sped up. Oh yeah. yeah I don't know. I only. I'd go back to read it if I cared. Yeah. I loved it at the time, but looking back on oh. it now, I wish I hadn't wasted the time on it. So then. So she- that's a pretty. That's a pretty significant okay. happening that in, we needed in the to book. Talk about, yeah, yeah, and then we get to finally see the brood, um, you know, outside of just a couple random broods showing up on Earth. We get to see them kind of in their native environment. Yeah, for the first time. Yeah, there's a battle because they dock aboard the star. They like the big whale ship, like latches itself onto the star jammer. And so Colossus blasts open one of the doors, like, punches through it. And then, uh, holy shit, now that I have the internet in my house, I have the old 80s arcade game, or 90s arcade game on my, uh, on my PlayStation 3. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, they had one of those at CincyCon. Oh, that's awesome. I've been looking at one on eBay. <gasps> yeah, that would be a fun one to own. Hey, I got a question for you. Totally off topic. Um, would it be terrible if I bought a bunch of old Uncanny X-Men uh, back issues from when I was a kid, cut them up, and uh, decoposhed the ceiling fan? No. In the comic book room? I don't think so. Okay. You mean as far as destroying the books? Yes. They're trash anyway if they're from the 90s. Oh, Jerry's consistent. I'll make sure I use only John Romita Jr. 80s issues. Oh, yeah. Man, I think I'm the only person that has a soft spot for those. So what do I know? Yeah. Um. So then, in one of my absolute favorite moments in the entire comic... <laughs> Is that a Strucker ad? 
insert PHP to that hostess ad? This cap and and somebody. Oh, oh here. Yes, it looks like. Holy it. shit! <laughs> Captain America fights Baron von Strucker over my favorite snack food in the world: a hostess apple pie. Gotta get a photo of that. Important to note because we will be speaking with Baron von Strucker in this episode. Yes, we will. Um. So when Corsair and Cyclops, like, take out some brood guards, they come upon Xavier and Lalandra, and one of the brood sneaks up behind them, and... <laughs> in, the, in, in possibly my favorite thing that Cockrum has ever drawn, Xavier, like, by his arms, like, pulls himself up and, like, dives at the brood, and his legs just <laughs> dangling behind him. <laughs> He punches oh. the brood right in the face. But it's the way the legs are drawn. It's pretty... I shouldn't laugh. You should probably cut this out. No. No, don't. So then they, uh... Team up. Storm gets sucked out of the ship. Into outer space. So then there's a... So this is her second time in the open vacuum of space. Yep. Well, at the very last second, they rescue her. Pretty exciting. You know the Guardians of the Galaxy totally stole this. Yeah. So that's that issue. Hooray! The gang's back together. X-Men! We're on Uncanny 157. Hide and Seek. Written by Chris Claremont, artist or Dave Cockrum and Bob Wyachek. We got... An open splash page of them repairing the hull of the Starjammer, which is pretty cool because you get the X-Men and Corsair in their cool space suits. Yeah. I had a, I was always pissed when I was, always, that's an over-exaggeration. No, you literally (laughs) walked around for 15 years just pissed off. I was, well, when they started putting out tons of toys, like one of the things that kind of bummed me out was there was a spacesuit Wolverine. But no spacesuit other characters. Oh, yeah. That's too bad. Did this happen in the cartoon? Um, I don't believe so, but I know that they were in space, obviously, during the Phoenix Saga. And that's uh-huh. where the spacesuit Wolverine came from. And I was like, I want a spacesuit everybody else, you dicks. <laughs> Did it look like this? It was, was close. It, it was, it was a slightly different. Like, the suit was more open in the chest. Mm-hmm. And I think it was, um, it actually might be the costumes from Fatal Attractions when they're in outer space during that. Okay. Um, they're more like gold. Uh-huh. But I thought it was cool. You see, get some sweet, uh, <laughs> Wolverine gets knocked around and is slowly floating into outer space. And, uh, Hezpaba saves him. I love... Okay, so she's wearing a spacesuit, too. Yep. And she's got... As originally drawn, she has that huge, fluffy skunk tail. Yes. And, um... Like, her spacesuit has the same volume as her tail, which is probably hairy, and isn't really those dimensions. Like, you probably flatten that down. Right. Into, like, a normal-shaped tail, but, but the suit... Is the same contours as, as her, uh, it's awesome. as her normal tail. It looks cool, man. And have we discussed before how, um, her character was a swipe from, uh, that comic strip Pogo? 
I think we might have, yes. When okay. she first appeared. And that's why they've since completely changed her appearance in comics, because they wanted to distance themselves from a copyrighted character. Yeah. I like that costume Kitty's wearing here. Um, Sean's flipping through the book, but she's got this, I don't even know what to call it, like a, a little bug-eyed uh, bodysuit where her whole face is if you, covered. If you took off the mask, it looks like um, Jean Grey's X-Factor costume to me. A little bit like that and a little bit like Moira McTaggart's suit, yep. differently colored. But the coloring more like um, Jean's X-Factor suit, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I dig that that mask, though. Yeah. It's, um, I don't, uh, sort of like the human fly for those Bronze Age fans that would remember that character. That's something that should go on our Tumblr. I should try to remember to post that on our Tumblr. Okay. Tumblr post. So they're trying to, yeah, they're trying to get out of there. And, uh, Kitty and Nightcrawler are trying to make an escape, basically. And I love the fact that in their escape, as they're about to be surrounded, Kitty uses the little costume changer to change her appearance into that of Dark Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah, Kitty's so smart. This is cool, though. You get to see some of the uh, Imperial Guard show up. Oracle. She has a tussle with Oracle. Warstar shows up. My yep. favorite. Love Warstar. Yeah. Yeah, it seems to be that they're kind of... The Imperial Guard looks a little split at this point. Oh, another cool ad from my youth. The, those uh, Dungeons & Dragons ads. They were kind of... Um, I think they were sequential from month to month. Like, you get the next bit of the story. Yeah. And I thought that was cool. You guys remember that? That was really cool. I like that. That's the kind of shit we should be talking about on this show, right? Right. I think so. So they recover Professor X by the end of this, and he's completely catatonic. Yep. And he's been rendered thus by the brood, right? The brood of invaded his mind or something? Yes. I don't remember exactly how that works. But he's catatonic, and it's because of the brood. And you need to know that. Yep. So then we're on to Uncanny X-Men number 158. X-Men! That Life That I Led, written by Chris Claremont. Same art team of Dave Cockrum and Bob Wyacek. Joe Rosen is the letterer. Glennis Ween is the colorist. And uh, it opens up with the Starjammers, uh, Raza, Hespaba, and Chod, or Chod, or Chod, or whatever you want to say, uh, getting beat up by Miss Marvel. Carol Danvers is taking them on. Who, as you may remember, has lost her powers to Rogue at this point. But they're finding out that she's, while she's lost all of her powers as Miss Marvel, she's still exceptional for a human, like her speed and agility and strength are, are greater than that of a normal person. Yeah. And she's handing them their asses initially. But everybody's having fun. Right? And eventually they get the best of her and they force her to say mate. Sand! Sand! 
So then everybody goes in and checks on Xavier, and uh, Oracle tries to read his mind. and uh, To try to bring him out of this catatonic state that he's in. And that's when she realizes that he is infected by the brood. And he zaps Oracle in an attempt to end his own life, is their conclusion. Um, and she has this cool looking, uh, effect of like energy bolts shooting out of her. And it, it looks a lot like, um, binary when Carol becomes binary soon. Yes. It looks a lot like that. It also looks a lot like, which is the same effect that as Storm had, right? When, when was it? When she was fighting, um, Proteus? Yeah. So then, uh, Kitty rushes into the room after everything's settled down and starts talking about how they, um, the news is talking about the X-Men. And so the X-Men rush in and they're looking at the TV and it's, uh, Senator Robert Kelly talking about the Days of Future Past fight. Right. And, uh, discussing how they're outlaws and stuff. And I'll, I'm sure I've probably mentioned this before, but I'll say it again. Anytime you cut to characters watching TV or listening to the radio, or anything like that, I don't read that page. Really? It takes me right out of the story, man. Like, it's so fucking boring. That is the worst storytelling device. And it seems like even the best artists, or best writers, fall prey to that. And and maybe it doesn't bother anybody else, but um, I hate that, man. Like, I don't... I'm reading a comic so I don't have to watch TV. I don't want to watch TV. I don't want to read somebody else watching TV. Yeah. It's just, there's, there's a million other ways you could do that. Well, he starts talking about that the government has files on the X-Men and they're going to start going after him. Like, that's part of what he's talking about. Yeah. And, uh, Kitty comes up with the plan. She's like, listen, we can get in there and we can erase all their files on us. Like, they won't have anything on us. And so they make up that plan. And at that point, um, and that's a good idea, right? Infiltrate the government, hack their systems. Yes. It's an excellent idea. That's a great idea. So, uh, so then we cut over to a spaceship landing in Rio Diablo mountain range. What? Who lives there? Former X-Men Lorna Dane and Alex Summers. And yeah. They're making dinner and up opens, there's a knock at the door and when Alex opens it, it's Cyclops and he reveals their father. And it cuts back to the X-Men infiltrating the Pentagon. Pentagon. <laughs> yeah, so they've decided uh, Carol has military credentials. Logan has Wolverine credentials. Storm is smoking hot. Yeah. They're just going to be able to walk right in to the Pentagon, and they do. Yep. And as they're walking down the hallway, Carol bumps into a woman in a drinking fountain. And when the woman stands up, it is revealed to be Rogue. And Miss Marvel loses her shit. And yeah, so she's that starts still a pretty tussle. mad at Rogue at this point. Yeah. That starts a tussle with Rogue. Who bitch slaps Carol across the hallway. Yeah, and she's fighting Wolverine. She winds up kissing him. Taking his powers. Which don't include claws, motherfuckers. Oh, that's right. She doesn't have access to claws. It's weird because he has these bone claws in him, so she should get those too, right? Yep. No! No, Sean! 
Carol swipes a, a gun from a guard and starts shooting at Rogue, who's now in her costume. Yeah, and it's a cool panel of the, the bullets just bouncing off her chest. And I don't know, I don't know for sure, but I want to say that panel is in the Marvel handbook. Okay. Like the, the original one that she first appears in. I also think it's sweet because that's never been done before. <laughs> the bullets bouncing off somebody's chest? Yeah. Yeah. This is the first time in comics that it's been done. What? Yeah. That's... Did that in the 30s, I'm sure. Who? Uh, you're right. <laughs> I see where you're going. Come on, Jerry. <laughs> it's like we haven't recorded an episode in a month and a half. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I'm a little rusty. Get your act together. My bad. Fucking clown. Who? Who, man? Who, man? That fucking guy. I know what we'll do. We'll put a Batman show on Fox and a Supergirl show on CBS. That'll make everything cohesive. Mm-mm. DC is the fucking worst. They have their own network. I, we didn't, we didn't get a complaint that every time that we blur out, that we bleep out, or that... The <laughs> other one? Seawick was like, I want to know what you guys are saying. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll be uh we'll be releasing at the next convention for sale a uh, bleep like thing a little cue card or a little index card with what the bleeps mean so you yeah. can sit at home and every different bleep will have a different word. All right. So anyways, so uh another as the uh, X Men are taken off, there's another woman who uh picks up a gun and uh, the strange raven haired woman. Yeah. Fans of Miss Marvel probably know who this woman is. Yes. And there's more fighting between Rogue and the X-Men, because it's comics. Carol Danvers is off to erase all that stuff. But before that happens, Wolverine punches Rogue through a wall. That's got to be the best punch Wolverine has ever delivered in his life. Yeah. Mystique turns into... uh, Fury. And when Storm and Rogue are fighting, Rogue stupidly grabs Storm's bare hands, and she can't control power. Storm's power. So that's going haywire. Yeah, that's cool, because it kind of gives you a perspective on, um, on Storm's, uh, like, it, it shows Rogue's complete inability to control it. You see how much control Storm has really learned over the years. Yes. Rogue, uh, as she's fighting them, Carol's going in there. She gets distracted because it's, it's Fury, and she actually thinks it's Fury. And, uh, Fury shoots Carol in the head. Luckily, I'm sure it somehow ricocheted off of something, but she's down and out for right now. It just creases her, man. It just creases her. Yeah. That's, that's Claremont's go-to move. So then we cut back to Rogue fighting Storm and Wolverine, and Storm decides, I've had enough of this bitch. And she wraps her up in her cloak, and they're fighting. And then uh Carol was playing possum, and when Nick Fury Mystique gets close, she kicks her in the face, starts walloping her. Because while Mystique is dangerous with her shape-changing ability, um, and she really is one of the scariest and most deadly villains, once you get your mitts on her... Yep. She's just like everybody else. So then, uh, Rogue gets taken care of by Storm. 
blown away in a tornado. Mystique gets arrested, and then Carol goes through with erasing all those files, including her own. That's right. There's a, there's a moment there where she reflects on everything she's lost and the fact that she's kind of begun a new life, really as a new person, and left everything behind. And she goes and deletes not only her profile as Miss Marvel, but her own personnel file with the military, erasing her existence. Yep. The end. X-Men! So then we're up to Uncanny X-Men 159. And Sean, this is Bill Sienkiewicz's first X-Men work. Oh. Reading this was so fun. Because, I, I mean, when I think of the New Mutants, usually the fir- my first thought is Bill Sienkiewicz. Because that's where, where I started reading the New Mutants. And, um, it, to see him at such a young age working on this book. Editor's note. Just wanted to mention that Bill Sienkiewicz was only 24 years old when he drew this issue. And was already a seasoned veteran after drawing many issues of Moon Knight. And you can tell it's it's early in his career. He's still working out what being Bill Sienkiewicz is, and this is a lot more mainstream than than um <clears throat> within what he's doing by the time he's on Moon Knight and, and later in his Moonlight run and and what he's doing on the New Mutants. Um, you almost wouldn't even recognize this as Sienkiewicz. Yeah, but it's still. It's still a good-looking book, man. And, and there are some panels that look really funky, but there's other things like, like this little panel Corsair that, um, bleeds over the gutter into the, the next panel where he's kind of like holding his hand out and gesturing as he's talking. Apparently he talks with his hands. Um, there's, there's little acting moments in it that are so good. And facial expressions that are exaggerated and, and, um, Tons of spot blacks, and uh, there are some funky panels and and uh, some weird facial proportions in some of them. But I think uh, it's a very different looking book from what Cochran was doing. But uh, it fits this tale um, because this is the X Men's first interaction with Dracula, and I really dug this book. Yeah. After spending all that time in space, they're finally, and then on their, um, their little island, I don't know, do they ever give that island, Magneto's weird island in the Pacific that they'd been on? I, nothing I know of. I mean, the, that last issue where they, Carol Danvers was practicing fighting with the Star Jammers and, and all that, they were back on Magneto's island that had kind of become their new little home base. Um, this is the, their first time back to New York again. Yes. They've returned back to New York because, what's the situation? They heard from Misty, Misty Knight, they, they go to Misty Knight's apartment for some reason. I don't remember why. It was that they could, um, she basically had an open invitation where they could crash there anytime. Ah, right. And I guess Misty's not home, but her, her hot fashion model roommate, who has, um, replaced Jean, now that Jean's dead. Uh, they're hanging out with her, 
And um, she gives Storm access to her fashion model wardrobe, so Storm gets to be stylish in, in her stormy way. Yeah. Which is oh so good. And uh she takes Kitty out for uh, to dance practice. Yes. And then is on her way home. Well she's um she was taking her to meet her parents. Oh that's what it was. That's why they're yeah, that's why they're in New York. Her parents are in New York and um and it's her first time seeing them in a while. Yes. So Storm Thanks, Sean. Storm takes her over to their house, drops her off, and she's supposed to have returned. Yeah. And then it cuts to... So they get Harmony, um, the roommate, gives them outfits to change into Nightcrawler and Wolverine. Wolverine immediately goes for the beer in the apartment, and he's hanging out. And Storm and Kitty head off into the night. Go meet up with her parents. Um, Then we cut back to Rio Diablo, where... uh, Scott and Alex are talking, making sure that he's keeping up with his uh powers, but Scott's happy that he's happy and enjoying his life. And uh they're having a meal together with Corsair, and he's talking about how Cyclops basically asks if he's going to stay, and he's like, I'd love to, but I'm 20 years behind your time, but I'm light years ahead of what's going on here, so it just kind of puts me in a really... Awkward place. Yeah. And so he's like, I, you know, it's great seeing you, but I just don't know if I'm going to be sticking around. And then, uh, and Harmony... Scott, Scott, Scott was like, well, w- when you leave, do you want us to come with you? Yeah. And, it, oh man, you know, they, they draw this room and you can feel the room that they're, they just live in this little tiny trailer in the desert, but you can feel the room getting smaller. As this, as yeah. this conversation is going on, like it gets more and more awkward and you know it's leading to this question, do you want us in your life? And he's like, I, guys, you're my kids. You, I don't know. And they leave it there. Yeah. But, oh man, like the panel, the panels around him, you see how they close in around him? Yeah. And so the last panel where he's faced with this question is just like the panel's just squeezed around his head, man, and you can you just feel the awkwardness of the moment. It is masterful. I love that sequence. Yeah. Even though I hate it because it's tough for all of them. I mean, you can't undo what's happened over the last twenty years. Yeah. But now they're finally faced with Are we a family now? And they still don't know at this point. And then cut to... It cuts to New York. Harmony is all googly-eyed over Nightcrawler, because come on, who isn't? Who is more dark and lovely than Harmony in this book? There can only be one person. Kurt Wagner is the only person more dark and more lovely than Harmony. (laughs) So the phone rings, and it's Kitty checking in, and uh, she wants to make sure... If she, she asks if she can talk to Aurora. And they're like, she hasn't made it back. What's going on? So everybody starts to get worried and cuts to a panel of her, uh, in an lying, alley. Lying, lying unconscious. Unconscious? Dead? With blood coming out of her neck. Yeah. She gets rushed to, uh, St. Vincent's Hospital. And right then, Logan and Colossus burst in. 
Mm-hmm. He makes a point of telling her, my name is Logan, because they're pushing that. Yeah. Everybody, be sure you know his name is Logan. And everybody, you know, the doctors and the nurses are all like, listen, we don't know what's going on. She's really hurt. Like, blah, blah, but sure you can go in and see her. And when they go in and see her, she appears fine. And the, the doctor's like, I'd really like you to stay. I think you're making a mistake if you leave, but she does anyways. I, if people listening aren't gonna know what I'm talking about, but these last two panels on the page, who does that, whose art does that look like to you? I don't want it to be a trick question, but that looks like, um, golden to me. Like yeah. straight out of that Avengers annual. Yeah. Especially the last one. Yeah. With the, the sunglasses on that, or glasses on that. I can definitely see what you're talking about. There's, you like, that to me looks like Sienkiewicz. Yeah, there's, But yeah. then other stuff doesn't. Right. So it's like, I understand your point of him kind of finding out who he is. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the X-Men take her back to the apartment. Uh, they put her in Misty's room. She's obviously going through some type of issues, but it's actually a transformation. Uh, Kitty shows up after the weekend with her parents. They explain that Aurora's not doing well. She goes into the room to see her. They don't think that she's going to make it. Kitty opens up the windows and a storm gasps and explains that she needs to close the curtains because the sunlight hurts. And it's at this point that Kitty sees Storm's face for the first time and she looks like she's aged 40 years since the last time she saw her. And, uh... Kitty notices that she's got a scarf with a D on it. Given uh, to her by... How does she put it? An admirer. It was a gift. Gift from an admirer, right. Yeah. So then, uh... Kitty runs out of the room and she's crying and she asks Logan... Because Storm shoves her across the room when she pushes, presses her about what's happened to her. And Kitty asks where she was injured. And then it cuts to the, uh, the night and Aurora wakes up and she opens up the window. And it's Greg Turner standing (laughs) in the window (laughs) waiting for her. Our good friend and former guest, Greg Turner. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, is indeed the Lord of Darkness, Dracula. And now in his presence, Storm seems rejuvenated and much younger. Yes. And lovelier again. Kitty comes back, dressed up like Indiana Jones. <laughs> she does. Carrying a crucifix. And um, Dracula responds to it, basically with a holy shit, the cross. And then he's like, wait a second, you Hebrew son of a bitch. <laughs> that ain't going to do nothing if you don't believe in it. So he goes after her, and then uh his hand gets uh burnt as he's choking Kitty by the Star of David around her neck. That will save her more than once in this I, I did love that whole, like, holy shit, the cross. Yeah, oh, like, no, not the cross. Oh, wait what? a Hey. Motherfucker. <laughs> I know something about you now. And then, uh, as Dracula runs off, Storm... <laughs> backhands Kitty across the face and she says forget me and pray that we never meet again so Kitty's all upset she explains the uh, Dracula thing 
Logan doesn't believe her, says that the scarf must belong to Misty or Harmony, because, you know, Misty and Harmony would both have a scarf that has a big D on it. It's short for D's nuts. <laughs> no it's <laughs> No it's I have about ten minutes, by the way. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay. So they wind up fighting Dracula. <laughs> we gotta get going. Dracula catches a f- all out punch by Colossus. Yeah. And throws Colossus through a tree. And that to me whew, Dracula's badass. Yep. But I love the fact that he's fucking just kicking everybody's ass. And the Nightcrawler with two wooden stakes makes a cross. And who's the biggest believer of them all, motherfuckers? Kurt Wagner. Kurt Wagner. So Storm comes after him with some lightning. Kitty phases into um, a tomb. Or They're at the... I forget the name of this castle, but it's it's this... Old castle in the middle of Central Park. Yeah. And, uh. Editor's note that's Belvedere Castle, you idiot. I apologize, New Yorkers, but I've only been to Central Park once in my life. And I never did see this place. But, um. So she goes inside, she finds a casket. Yeah. Hoping it's Dracula's. Pour some holy water in it. As she opens it, she she's hoping that Aurora's not inside, and she makes peace that if she is, she will drive a stake through her chest. Yeah, she oh yeah she's got it out. She's planning on it. Um, and she does eventually run into Storm, and they kind of have it out. Yeah. Dracula turns into a giant bat. It's got it all, man. Yeah, he's got the X-Men down for the count, and he looks at Aurora, and he's like, Get rid of him. Slay him. And she's like, that Dracula is something that I will never do. And she changes into her costume, right, as he turns into a giant bat. She's going ape shit on him. Hitting him with lightning. Fucking turning the weather all cold. They blast into some type of, uh, the top of the park restaurant, 50 stories above the Columbus Circle. And they're fighting in there. And, uh, she grabs a steak, and Dracula grabs a, uh, dining patron. Another innocent bystander. Yep. And he says, drop the weapon, Rin Rider. Yield, or I'll rip this cow's throat out. Calls her a cow. What a Man. dick. Lady just wants to have some dinner. She right? didn't ask for all this. So this, this issue, after they have this knockdown drag out, is kind of resolved in much the same way as that um, Doom Arcade appearance yes. where um, Dracula's like, hey, you know, I just really like you. I don't want us to be enemies. I, I You're really hot, Storm. Why can't, let's just... I'll go. I still think you're hot. I'll, maybe some other time we can make this work out. And they let him go for whatever reason. And that is how that episode, how that issue ends. We still have two more to get through at some point. X-Men! 160 is what we talked about with the wonderful Wendy Freeman. Which yeah. Which is the Belasco Balsacco issue. Yeah, and that, I don't think we really spent a ton of time on the actual issue. We mostly talked about the miniseries. 
But um, I think the issue 160 is stronger than the miniseries. And um, it's a great issue where you're introduced to Belasco, you're introduced to um, his right-hand man, Sim, who is uh, drawn... There's a little bit of resemblance to Hellboy, and I never noticed it until I saw that Mike Mignola did the cover for this issue, the reprint for Classic X-Men. Okay. He did an awesome cover for it. And Sim, he looks like Hellboy, man. Yeah. Like, you can see Hellboy there. And when I saw that, I was like, holy shit. That's really cool. That's pretty sweet. That, I mean, seek that image out and, and just tell me if I'm crazy. Yeah. But, um. No, I told you the other day that I actually went and picked up a bunch of the old classic X-Men stuff because I always thought that they were just reprints, but it turns out that when, um, Claremont was doing those, he added, whenever they were, whatever time they were being published in, Claremont added extra pages, I believe, into the first, like, 45 issues mm-hmm. to tie some stuff together, some stuff that he couldn't get to, and to make them more cohesive with what was happening at that time in the books when they were being published. Mm. So if you get an opportunity at a con or anything, and you're a big X-Men fan, to pick up any of the classic X-Men stuff, you should definitely give. Do some research and give those issues a shot. Yeah. And then find that Sim cover that... Jerry's talking about, plus all those have great covers because they have Art Adams covers and it's really cool to see other artists take on those. 160 is one of my favorite issues of all time. Really? It's high stakes, man. Yeah. I I don't think it's an incredibly drawn issue or an incredible story, but it's really cool and it just has one of that special place in my heart because of the timing and and how I discovered it and all that. How did you discover it? Well, I read the miniseries first. Okay. And then I went back oh, and right. finally found the issue in, in a quarter bin or something. Whatever the 1988 equivalent of that would have been. Penny bin? Yeah. It was coverless. Whoa. I still hadn't seen the cover until I don't even know when. Cover's pretty exciting. It's a big hand. Big bony red hand. It's hot. Can you feel the excitement in the room? I'm excited for when we get past this issue. <laughs> so it opens up. X-Men are messing around in the danger room, doing their usual thing. Cause they're not in the be... danger room. They're Sean. not? No, they're on that were... weird island. That, oh, the uh, Magneto. Magneto's yeah. island. Right. Fantasy island. So they're just fucking around? Yes. They are fucking around. Ileana hears a voice. She goes, she goes towards it. Basically what happens is Ileana is kidnapped by Balsacco. Balsacco. The return of Balsacco. <laughs> and and uh, Kitty tries to chase her down and she herself is teleported into limbo. Where she goes on an amazing adventure. She's felt up by a demonic nightcrawler. And um, I was... So it was a while ago that I read this issue, okay? And I did a, I read a recap today before I left work, cause, you know, I could put work on hold for reading recaps, just to be prepared for the people who listen to this show. The groping nightcrawler thing cracked me up when I read the recap. 
I know it shouldn't, but it was just like <laughs> out of nowhere in the re- like in the comic book, it's like creepy. Uh huh. But in the recap, it was just like, and then the kitty runs up to Nightcrawler because she's excited to see a familiar face, and he gropes her, <laughs> and you're like, so then it's left to my imagination to what he did. And so it gets real fucking deviant real fast. <laughs> I, I think it is really deviant. I always thought he grabbed her 13-year-old boob. But um, if you look at the hand placement when they cut back, I think he's reaching a little lower. No, it looks like a boob. She just lets it phase right through him. He did the classic, what Nightcrawler does in this scene is he basically just outstretches his arms like he's looking around for something, oh, it's you know? dark. Yeah, you yeah. Can't, we can't see where he's going. Yeah. I know a kid in middle school who used to walk around corners. Like <laughs> <laughs> was his name like, Sean? Perpetually like he was going to fall. I'll have to remember that. So creepy Nightcrawler, I, like... He's pretty creepy, but it also makes me wonder if it's actually real Nightcrawler, and he's just like, this is my chance. We're in limbo. If I dirty myself up a bit. (laughs) And then, fortunately, there just happened to be an actual creepy one that looked just like that. Yeah. So he got lucky. (laughs) (laughs) Crisis averted. Yeah. Turns out it wasn't worth it. It's like that kitty pride A cup. Delightful. Felt like a B, because I only have three fingers. <laughs> oh, that's not funny. <laughs> that's not funny. No? She's only 13 and a half years By old. By now, she's got to be 14 and a half. Maybe. Maybe. Wow. I'd say he would that's go to hell my, for that, but he's already there. That's my favorite X-Man. Nightcrawler? Yeah. Yeah. This one? If I had read this, yeah. <laughs> If I had read this as a young child, this would have made a great impression on me. I would have been like, religion? And all about the boobs. Oh, so after she gets felt up, um, she trips over a skeleton or something, and she gets a nice upskirt on Velasco. Oh my god! (laughs) Which has forever been immortalized by the great Baron Strucker on Twitter. That's right! (laughs) So Katie's having a bad day. She gets groped by her least favorite X Men, right? Yes, he's, he's still she's terrified by Nightcrawler. Still, and she's this, just getting over it. This ain't gonna make it any better. <laughs> no. And then this she is a big falls setback. face first into Belsacco's Balsacco. Yeah. Poor kid. And then she has her skeleton removed, which is one of the coolest parts of the book. She's encased in this big thing of crystal, and Belasco just pulls her entire skeleton out and has it waved back to her. That's true evil. That's That's evil. Yeah. That's very Baron-esque of him. It was. What other cool shit happens? We meet Sim. Yep. Who was cool. We talked about Sim. Did we we cover this issue already? I feel like we did. Me too. I really feel like we did. I feel like we might have talked to Wendy about the miniseries, but I think you and I might have discussed this issue. Right. Well, uh, forget I said anything, man. Um, things I thought were really cool as a kid when I read this were when um, Wolverine comes across Colossus's dead body, and the hallway is all like, like uh, from Alien. 
Like when they go into the alien nest and the walls are all like a, a Geiger painting. It looks like that. It's all creepy and shit. And Colossus is just stuck to the wall and he's he looks really old. He's got gray hair like Reed Richards. And his chest is completely caved in. And then uh, Sim finds Wolverine and they get into a little fight and it doesn't go well. But then Wolverine's teleported away. And then Colossus comes on the scene and Sim reaches down to a dead Wolverine carcass that's just a skeleton and snaps off one of Wolverine's claws from the skeleton, which is like a really good indication of exactly how strong Sim is. But then he whips it at Colossus and it sticks into his shoulder. That little, that whole four page sequence or whatever it is, I, it like completely captured my imagination. Unbreakable skeleton, my ass. Yeah. Well, back then, it was always, he always, he'd qualify it, be like nearly indestructible. Okay. Or how do they always say it? I think he mentions it in one of these issues. I can't remember, but. Alright. He always used a specific language. And if we were experts, we would know what it was. We've never claimed to be experts. No, we're just enthusiasts, yep. people. Enthusiasts. Except when we're recapping issues and then we don't even really sound that enthusiastic. I'm enthusiastic. <laughs> Listen, I've got the issue out in front of me, and if I'm quiet, it's because I get sucked into it. And I'm like, oh, I love this part, and then I forget that we're recording. Yeah. Totes. Totes. So, um, Ilyana gets her soul stone necklace. And uh, she gets her first stone in it. Looks like there's three in there, man. Oh, there, there's three at the very end, yeah. Because she gets she gets two in the miniseries. Okay. So, cut to the end. She just... They rescue her with the, the help of an aged Storm. Who's the former friend of the demonic Nightcrawler. And they're the last two remaining members of the original X-Men. Um, that we know of. At this point. Um, and so the X-Men leave the portal. They're, they're rescued, but Ileana didn't make it through. So Kitty reaches back. She loses Ileana for a second. And when she pulls her out, she's 13 years old. And Nightcrawler's like, yeah! <laughs> she stretches out his hands. Yeah. He shuts off the lights and starts walking towards her. Um, and yeah, so now she has three stones. And um, Ileana's asleep in her bed with Peter watching over her. But he finally falls asleep. And Well, see... it bums, that's the part that, that's actually my favorite part of the entire issue. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is when um, Colossus, the X-Men are talking about everything that they've gone through and obviously the change in Ileana. And um, Colossus is walking up the stairs of the mansion to go look at Ileana and check on her. And he says, you know, my friends, sometimes I wish I had never heard of Charles Xavier or the X-Men. And knowing, like, what we know now about Colossus and him eventually defecting to the Acolytes, it, uh, really bums me out, like, when you look at it. Because, I mean, I think that Colossus is the most tragic of all the X-Men, I would think. He loses his whole fucking family. Yeah. Brother commits suicide. His parents are in Russia. That's pretty terrible. Well, there's a lot of tragedy. I mean, that's the one thing that unites all of them, is that they've all... We need a tragic event to bond us together. I feel pretty bonded. 
Enough. Yeah. I think a tragedy is about to happen. Yes. When we because... move this podcast over to Hydra Island and bring on our special guest, person that you should all love, even if you don't whoa, know whoa, it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's not get carried away. No one should love. We should all pay attention. The Kraken loves him. Madam Hydra loves him. Yeah, she does. Here now from Hydra Island to discuss, in his words, the greatest issue of Uncanny X-Men to ever be written, if it was written the correct way, the way that it actually happened. So we're here with a live interview with the one, the only, the true leader of Hydra, Baron V. Strucker. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I assure you, the pleasure is entirely yours. Although I must say, since appearing last on your podcast, my Twitter account has blown up. I have literally ten of people following me now. It is quite exciting. We are we are a pretty popular podcast, Zola, clearly. Yes. Zola tells me I'm the most popular person on Twitter. Alright, well before we get into the Zola nonsense too much, we'd actually like to discuss what we're here to talk about. Which is Uncanny X-Men number 161. Ah, before we begin the discussion on the only X-Men issue worth reading, I would like to read a letter from one of your listeners. Oh, fan mail. We never get that. Wow. One moment while I put on my reading monocle. Ah, that's better. Okay. Dear Herr Pigeon and the other guy, I get it already. Hair Pigeon was in a marginally successful rock and roll band, and Hair McDade has a bizarre, some would say disturbing, sexual attraction to comic book characters. Enough! What I really want, they demand, is more Baron Strucker. Baron Strucker. The Supreme Hydra. The Conqueror of Captain America. Artist extraordinaire. The creator of the award-winning and critically acclaimed Jerry McBrown comic strip. The defeater of the Battletoads for Nintendo. It's true, it's true. Etc. It goes on for another two pages, this thing, my many accomplishments. But you get the picture. I am amazing. For the sake of brevity, I will get to the point. When next you have the great, his greatness, Baron Strucker, on your podcast, could you please list the exact minute and second that he appears, so I can fast forward or needn't waste my time listening to this muted propaganda and vulgar message of tolerance. Sincerely, everybody. <laughs> well, now that that is out of the way, shall we discuss comic books? Ta-da! It's a pretty spot-on letter. I, I have no comment. I'm speechless. It was good, that's yeah. actually that's actually nicer than most of the the comments that we get via Twitter. Yeah, that it was almost complimentary, almost. Yeah, 
I feel good. I feel like I can go on now. Wonderful. So you want to talk about the issue? X-Men! Let me guess how this issue goes. I come up with a brilliant plan. The Jew mutant and the cripple mutant outsmart me. And everyone lives happily ever after the end. Rubbish and lies! I, I think there might be a little bit more to that. Oh, by, by all means, proceed then. I'm, I'm a little bit scared, I, I gotta admit. I'm yeah. scared. <laughs> but, uh, so we start with Professor X laid up in bed. He's comatose, overtaken by the brood. Mm-hmm. And, and he's uh, having a nightmare. And, and Lalandra actually looks like a brood in that. She does. Terrifying. They all look kind of like a brood. Everybody's a scary monster in his dreams. Dave Crockford really likes strong monsters. He does. So the X-Men are standing around Xavier's bed, creepily watching him have this nightmare, like you do. Yeah. You feel coward, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> Would you have just put him out of his misery? Yeah. I don't know, I mean... And you're, you're just trying he to- He can't walk! You're just trying He's to- He's useless! You're trying to steal gold in this issue. But now, in comic books now, the Red Skull. Some would argue, the true leader of Hydra. Schmidt. Schmidt was a bellboy! I am a baron! He, you know, he took Xavier's body and cut out his brain and now he has telepathic powers. What do you have? Twitter account? I have my own genius. I need not steal a mutant's powers. Point. Checkmate. <laughs> so, uh, everybody wanders off from Xavier's room. Uh, Scott's out on a balcony of the place they're at, which is. Is that still? Yeah, they're yeah, still on there. still at Magneto's weird looking base. Why leave ever? It's awesome. Yeah. And, uh, he's pretty upset about the, uh, Daily Bugle doing a story about everything that went wrong with their Pentagon attack and how the X-Men are implicated in it. Yeah, and he lets Storm know that she's a complete idiot. Yep. And that she should have consulted him before hatching this harebrained scheme. Which, Baron, I mean, come on. You kind of have to give Cyclops credit there, because who wants to put a woman in charge? Would you put a woman in charge of Hydra? Why are you doing this, Sean? (laughs) Why are you destroying us? Only if they're under supervision. <laughs> and like we all know, I was the first to have a female second in command. Not shield. Yet I'm the intolerant one. I never saw that. Thing. Oh no, it was, it was Contessa, Dave, blah, 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 blah. Right. So, Storm doesn't take kindly to Scott's snapping. She does not. And she, she challenges him. I would not. I'm not. I'm the leader, not you. And he's all, well, maybe I should be the leader. Maybe I should take the mantle back. And then you think it's on. But then Storm just walks away. And Colossus, Colossus, Cyclops is all, wait, Storm, don't go. Cyclops is all talk is what Cyclops is. He backed down. Of course, he's a mutant. There's a reason they're hated and feared. They make up. The end. They do. Lalandra's sad about Charles because he's about to die because his mind is drifting away from his body or some kind of I have a question shit. about this Lilandra. I wonder, what is more vile? A man who fornicates with a skunk, Fraulein, 
for a man who fornicates with a bird, Fraulein. I mean, seriously, if you impregnated her, would she, would she lay an egg or would she give birth to a twisted bird-human hybrid? Ah, there are no nine deaths to these mutants will not sink to. I must be part mutant then because I would bang both of them. Of course you would. <laughs> <laughs> if you knew that it was going to come out a weird hybrid, would you still do it? I don't think I'd be thinking that far ahead, Sean. Yeah, you'd just be like, gotta make sure I pull out. Yeah. It's deep space, man. Nobody, nobody cares. Disgusting. Right? Well, we're about to see Charles Xavier go to some even deeper depths of depravity to... Yes, we are. Meet himself a lady. So in uh, Xavier's comatose state, as Lelandra's sitting over his body crying. He starts thinking about another woman. Yeah. He starts dreaming about his time in the city of... Haifa? Haifa. That's right. So we see a Charles walking in his sweet pseudo-Indiana Jones get-up. He's like uh, the military virgin of... Virgin? He is a military virgin. He probably virgin. is a virgin. Yeah. So he uh, introduces himself to a doctor there, Daniel Shamron. And uh, he's brought on to treat a comatose teenage girl named Gabrielle Heller. Yes. And he's introduced to an orderly named uh, Magnus. Does he have... What's the last name they give? He just says Magnus. Magnus, because there are no last names. Yeah. So that's the first time that... uh. Like, Charles notices that Magnus's sleeves are rolled up, so he asks him um, if he was also in the concentration camps. The only tattoos I approve of. <laughs> oh, you are a bastard. <laughs> I'm just being true to myself. Whew! This is going to be awesome. I, I am not comfortable with this. <laughs> this is going into dark places. Listen. I'm going to throw up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you can blame all this on Yes, I will. How can we do fewer than 100 listeners? We're going to find out. <laughs> That's not true. Throw Everybody up. knows that it's a bit. So we noticed the tattoo. Magnus explains that he was in Auschwitz. I don't have any, He explains to Charles that he doesn't have any uh, family anymore. Dr. Shamron... Um, explains to Xavier that most of the volunteers were in camps. He figures that it helps because they understand the situation that all the other survivors are going through. And that's when he introduces Charles to Gabrielle Heller. Shamron explains to Xavier that he's uh, tried everything to get Gabrielle to come out of the uh, coma, or her catatonic schizophrenia. Her total retreat from reality because everything that was done to her was so awful. You know, you know, you I was that. there. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> she's like a, a woman. She's being hysterical. She's blowing everything out of proportion. Oh my god. <laughs> At least he's not denying it happened. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> this is progress in a way. <laughs> Still gonna, gonna throw make, up. He's gonna make it sound like a country club. It was for me. <laughs> oh my god, we cannot do this. <laughs> so Xavier uses his power. 
<laughs> I want you guys to know we should put the disclaimer up here. The jury is not okay with this. <laughs> And the only reason Jerry has agreed to this is because he understands that his partner in the Great Expectations podcast has a very disturbed sense of humor. This is parody, that... motherfuckers. This is parody. Sure, yes. Yeah, yeah, parody, yes! <laughs> <laughs> so Xavier enters Gabrielle's mind. The first awful thing Xavier's gonna enter. Oh no. Oh no. Charles! <laughs> and so Xavier starts going through her memories. Monsters start popping out of the wall. It's actually a pretty sweet whole, you know, much like the um, Xavier issue where he's going up against uh, Amul Farouk, the yeah. Shadow King. It's got that same type of vibe, you know, the whole mind landscape stuff. And then uh, he goes into our memories of the concentration camp, which are pretty fucking terrifying as they would be you country club loving bastard sean this this so the splash of this this nazi monster looks really familiar to me and i can't place where i've seen it before a good friend of ours from the shop told me that it's from american werewolf in london where the main character is in a hospital bed and he's having nightmares that nazis come in and shoot up the place and they all have monster faces oh shit that's right that is exactly what it was there's a um my older brothers my dad took my older brothers to see american werewolf in london and he threw up yes yes you know i knew that because i've told this story like three times on the last episode the last episode well that that was we already the last we're talking about american werewolf in london a lot yeah well it's a great movie never seen it so uh it shows those are some pretty fucking scary monsters. And uh says that, that Gabrielle was dragged before the Commandant, who points a magic wand at her, chants an obscene spell. Nightcrawler from Limbo would approve. He would. And transforms her into solid gold. Solid gold. I tried to find a solid gold. That old gold bitch. <laughs> I couldn't find any good solid that gold. Clips. Bitch. <laughs> that old bitch. That old bitch. <laughs> yeah. Quit breaking character, Jerry. You're supposed to be doing your Baron voice. Sorry. Wait, that's not me. Oh, yeah. I am not the Baron. So then Gabrielle wakes up and she screams, Mama, Papa. When do I come in? You're, we're getting there. Okay, yeah. You gotta have a real, we gotta ramp it up. Okay. So, um, they, was- they form this awesome threesome. They grow very close, but Gabrielle's got something in mind for Professor X, and he decides something so wrong must be right. So he bangs the shit out of this teenage girl that's been comatose for eight years or whatever it is, and who's hurt by it, Sean, right? Right. I think we learn in this issue who the real villain is. Charles Xavier. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way it's going. So, actually, he hasn't slept with her yet. They're just out on the town. She, she, oh, he mind fucked her. True. Real hard. Oh my god, yeah, you're right. No, 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 because they're having this chat, right? And, and Xavier says, in his mind, he's like, oh, Gabby, you idiot. 
I may live in the idiot part. <laughs> you believe you're in love with me, but you aren't. Not really. And yet your need to love and be loved is as genuine and as great as my own. So Xavier's basically like, you're not in the right headspace. Getting ready to kick it to the cup. But I just want to, I just want to be loved too. Doesn't everybody want, even the Baron wants to be loved. I am loved. <laughs> By ten people on Twitter. <laughs> Quality over quantity. Yeah. And she says, Charles, I owe you everything. But I have no means of repaying you. Wink. Yeah. Bring that unibrow over here, baby. And she goes to kiss him. And Xavier in his head is like, I should not do this. But if it makes us both happy and brings us the solace we seek, then what is the harm? And right as you turn the page, (laughs) they get blown to holy hell by a bunch of hydragoons. Way to fucking cock block him, man. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> He's trying to save Charles from a terrible mistake. Yep. Is that... That's... I, Baron's the real hero here. He's like, I Charles, am the real... I've been trying to tell you this. You're a woman's rights activist. You're like, get away from her, you bald really? creep. Really? creeps. Creeps him. Send your goons after So they start shooting the place to holy hell. Xavier's like... Gotta keep her alive, because this was going somewhere. Yeah. So he shoves her behind a truck, but he takes a bullet that grazes his forehead. Typical Claremont. We've seen this a lot lately. Claremont loves shooting people right near the face. How long have we been recording, Jerry? Too long. That is a long time for your daughter to be sitting outside in a comic <laughs> shop on a Wednesday, unsupervised. I told her not to leave with any creepy guys. They're all creepy guys. Yeah. She was like, but some creepy guys are good guys. And I was like, not all of them. She was like, what about your friend Sean that you always record stuff with? Never go anywhere with Sean. He's the worst. If he had mental powers, it'd be exactly like Xavier. If he calls you Gabrielle, you punch him in the nuts and run. So the Hydragoons can't grab her and take off in their little ship. And out of nowhere... Nuts and bolts everywhere get pulled apart. And Charles looks up on the roof and he's like, Son of a bitch. Magnus. Look at that guy go. Not cool. He must be a mutant. Oh, we never mentioned that um, Magnus's mind is closed to Charles. Yeah. Otherwise, is... probably would have fucked him too. He probably would have. And uh, I think it's... That was another thing that I thought was a little lame about the story, because what the hell does he need the the helmet for? It's true. I mean, he's always been resistant to mind probes. And Professor X is still pretty young here. But, uh, man, he should be able to penetrate that skull. Yeah. Charles basically asked Magnus if it was necessary to slaughter those hydrogoons. How do you feel about that? Completely unnecessary. Gratuitous. Do you mourn the loss of soldiers, or are they just kind of, like, well, fodder? To well, that can't, can't fodder, but that, that, the plane! Those things cost money! As far as the soldiers, though, I mean, that's that's good news, because, I mean... Yeah, well, how many? There were, like, eight guys there, right? So now you'll they're, have 16 guys. They're not following me on Twitter, I don't care. For every one that Magnus cuts down, two will take their place. <laughs> Clever. Thank you. So, uh, they come out and explain Dr. Dan. Dr. Dan. We know who you mean. You guys know who I mean. He comes up and he explains to Charles that they've got a prisoner, but he doesn't speak English. And Charles is like, don't worry. 
I got this. I got I'll this. inappropriately enter his mind, which is something from X-Men number one that I've sworn not to do. I got this. Although I suppose this happens before X-Men number one. Yes, it does. Charles Xavier was kind of a dick. He was kind of a dick. And but we've come to was, terms with at it, At least he was never in love with Jean Grey. Woo! Glad <laughs> dodged that bullet. Sean, so I then, think somebody's mind fucked you. So then... Because he had I, a massive... Oh, I promised I wouldn't do it. I blocked that out of my memory. It's me too. Me too. So, uh, Xavier, it cuts to this pretty sweet scenery of your outdoor base. Got a waterfall, a couple of hydro trucks, some tents for the goons. That's some... That's nice. That's some James Bond villain-esque okay. shit, man. Yeah. You're inside underneath that waterfall, polishing your Satan's claw. Yeah, the Satan's yeah. Claw. I, I believe this is the debut of Satan's Claw, if I'm not incorrect. I like these bug-eyed helmets on the high Yeah, ones. you got to bring those back, man. How's the visibility in those things? I don't know. I don't wear them. Is there a better logo in the Marvel Universe than the Hydra logo? <laughs> there is not. I, nine? I so basically, you kidnapped Gabrielle Holler because you wanted her to lead you to some Nazi gold. So they found some gold somewhere in a mountain. Some gold, yeah. Nazi gold. And uh, Xavier and Magnus have pulled a, these aren't the stormtroopers you're looking for, and dressed as hydragoons. And they've snuck in, and they see you uh, doing a pretty sweet jig on top jig. of that yeah, pile well, of gold. Hydra doesn't run on good thoughts. You need money. <laughs> it's clear that Hydra does not run on good thoughts. That's not a surprise. Depending where you're coming from. So, Charles and Magnus grab Gabrielle Holler. You notice, right? So you're like, kill him. And did you also notice his mind tricks do not work on me either? Ah. Sign of the superior man. True. Ah. Take that, Xavier. And Johann Schmidt. And Schmidt. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Schmidt couldn't do anything to me now. Now is the time for Strucker. Forget this X-Men access, whatever the shit it is. So then, Xavier, as he's hiding out with Gabrielle while Magnus is doing his thing and kicking some Hydra ass, sorry, he uh, telepathically makes the Hydra soldiers not see him, which is pretty sweet. And then he gets them to start fighting each other, thinking that they're Charles and Magnus. So, Gabrielle, unfortunately, during all this, has gone back into shock. That's not well, very nice of you. Like a throwline. And then all of a sudden, Baron pops around the corner. He's got that goddamn Satan's claw. Bam! <laughs> Satan claw in your face! But then... Satan Claw is not... You weren't thinking ahead, buddy. You're like, I got this metal Satan's Claw. I'm going to go punch Magneto in the face. And what does he do? Crushes your hand inside the Satan's Claw. Tosses you aside like a little rag. Aha! Proof that these are all lies. Apparently the Jutant uses his powers of magnetism to crush my hand inside my Satan's Claw. Then he buries me in a cave. Not before stereotypically taking the gold, I might add. Yet here I am, alive and well. Does my hand look mangled to you, Herr Pigeon? 
It does not. It's the only thing mangled I see are those pathetic twigs that Xavier calls his legs. I chuck up all this nonsense to merely a fever dream by that bald buffoon Xavier. Strucker never loses. So Harlem Globetrotters are envious of my winning percentage. Get done with this story already. Sorry. Alright. So, after all those lies are done, we have Xavier. He wakes up. And he's thinking about Gabby. Luckily, he doesn't say it out loud. Because that would have really cramped his style with the whole Landra hooking up there. So everybody's all super excited that Xavier's woken up. They have a great feast. And then... Deathbird shows up. And she takes out the whole damn team. And the brood are revealed. And so now they have new hosts. All the X-Men. And Corsair. Alandra. Everybody. Everybody. And worth mentioning that, um, for this special dinner party at the end, everybody's got a new costume. Crockrum. Crockrum's got another opportunity to give everybody new costumes. Space pirating people. So apparently, in this issue, we had a reference to Indiana Jones, Star Wars, aliens, and American werewolf in London. Is Claremont capable of coming up with anything original? Um, yes. Very much so. Yeah. It's influence. Oh, they just homages. Is that it? Things that he loves. Tributes. Great things. Now that that is taken care of, I would like to discuss a real injustice. Oh. A true crime. An abomination. Of course, I speak of Jerry McDade. Oh. Or more precisely, Jerry McDade's jam pieces. <laughs> For the are. sake of the listeners who do not know what a jam piece is, could you could you elaborate, Herr McDade? Go on. You, just, you have one sheet of paper that you have a bunch of artists draw on together. In harmony. And like how, ebony and ivory. And how long have you been doing this? I don't know, three years? Excellent. Now, dear listener, I'm sure you're thinking, of course Jerry must have a Baron Strucker sketch by now. Nine! McDade has an entire page dedicated to something called Micronauts, yet nine Strucker. What in the blue blaze is a Micronaut? Herr McDade even has a sketch of Baron Zemo. Zemo, the man with a pig ski mask glued to his face. The imbecile that can't even kill Captain America with a rocket. And yet still nine Strucker. This cannot stand. So today I offer you, Herr McDade, a challenge. We put America's much vaunted idea of democracy to the test and let the listeners decide whether you get a Baron Strucker sketch or not. Now how do we do this? It's quite simple. On the Great Expectation Twitter page, we will have two tweets. One saying yes. I am a hero and believe it is a travesty that Herr McDay does not have a Baron Straka sketch yet. Please rectify this mistake. Or, oh, nine, I am a sex offender 
who believe that Herr McDade should be able to get whatever character sketch he wants. You merely have to favorite whichever one you agree with. We will keep the tweets up for two weeks. After the two weeks are up, we will remove the tweets and officially announce the winner on the next podcast. If Jerry wins, I will accept his slap in the face and never speak of this outrage again. However, if I win, McDade must get a Baron Soraka sketch at his next outing to a comic book convention. And it has to be done by someone who has a name in the comic industry, nine bullshit indie artists. <laughs> I hear that Milo Spinera is available. Actually, if any listeners out there have any artistic talent, I would love to see your interpretation of the great Baron Strucker. Who knows, maybe I will allow you to be the lucky one to do Jerry's sketch. So, Herr McDay, do you accept my challenge? Yes. Wunderbar! <laughs> you heard it, listeners. Do what you will not do this November and vote. Now, finally, oh. I would be remiss if I did not address one last insult. It appears that a certain former guest of yours goes by the Twitter name of At New Mutant. Of course, he'd pick the name of the boringest X-book for his moniker. I mean, why not call yourself at Vanilla Ice Cream or at Drying Paint? It's basically the same thing. We like the New Mutants. And we like New Mutant. We like all of Silence! Them. Alan's our favorite guest. He's, but he seems to be under the impression that Sorry. Emma Frost is... How did he put it? Ah, yes. Hello, bitch. Nothing could be further from the truth. Emma Frost is not an old bitch. She's a shining example of Aryan perfection who has the terrible misfortune of being born a vile mutant. If anything, he should pity her. For shame, that new mutant. For shame. Wow. Gentlemen, I think it's time to wind this conversation down and get back to work. After all, Hydra never rests. Now, if you have a sense of humor and like to bask in the glory that is Hydra, by all means, follow me on the Twitter at Baron V. Strucker. The V is for victory. However, if you're an overly sensitive, politically correct douchebag, go elsewhere. And remember, don't be a sucker. Vote for Straka. Hail Hydra! Thank you, Baron. Thank you. That was something. It was something. And thank you, listeners, who stuck with this. Yes. We hope all three of you will be back next week. We've got some sweet guests coming up. Yeah, we do. Yeah. And I really want to tell everybody who they are, but we can't. Because that would ruin the excitement and anticipation. True. But they will be good. Who could top me? No one. No one. Yeah. Unless we bring Kirby back. The ghost of Kirby. Yeah. Creator of the X-Men. Now that would be a get. So that about does it for this episode. You gotta go make sure that somebody didn't kidnap your daughter and I've gotta fucking drive all the way to Detroit. Yeah, we, that should be good. That should be good. Good luck. There's no baseball game right now, so I'm okay today. Tomorrow and Friday are gonna fucking suck. I hate everybody. Sup to our listeners. Yay! Guys, we're back. We are. We're on the regular again. Until you hear this episode. And Jerry's gonna go back. You're gonna start editing this. And I'm gonna get about 50 fucking text messages that have just panicked Jerry. 
can't oh do this, God. Sean. <laughs> I have to burn this episode. We can't. We can't air this. We have to do it again. It's going to be a half an hour of beep. <laughs> All right, let's wrap this up. All right, everybody. We will see you in two weeks. Hell yeah, you will. Goodbye. I'll just get right here. Get really down to the business. Jerry, pull your dick out. (laughs) You ready? You ready? You ready to sit (laughs) silently in the background?
<laughs> Nobody ever listens to that part. That's the thing that pisses me off. Some people do. Nobody listens to the music. This episode has been brought to you by Cry for the Moon Productions. Cry for 